Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and virtual production. Second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. Today, we're going to talk about lower thirds. We're going to look at other people's lower thirds. If you want to talk about the design of lower thirds, we'll have future episodes where we talk about the construction of lower thirds. But today, we will talk about design and a little bit about what we use for those things as well. So if you've got questions about lower thirds, let us know and throw those questions in early and make sure to vote on the questions. Uh, we answer these questions mostly in order, <laughs> so uh, if you uh, so so make sure to uh, vote those questions up and kind of help you, you as a producer, as a viewer, a producer, you get to decide what our run of show looks like. And so go ahead and vote on those questions. Ask the questions that you want us to talk about. Don't worry about what other people want. Just ask what you want to ask, and uh, we'll see how everybody else thinks or what everybody else thinks. All right, Keely, let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Our first question comes from Graham Cardwell in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Phone gimbals, DJI Osmo Mobile 3 or 4, or the Zhuyin Smooth 4. Any general use comments or experience. As for the DJI 3 V4, the only difference seems to be, I think that was 3 versus 4, the only difference seems to be the magnetic mount. How strong is it? I, I'll be skiing and I don't want to lose the phone. Go, Jason. Okay, I've got to start by saying well done on that pronunciation. Uh, well done, Keely. Yes. Um, Okay, the three versus four does have um, a handful of differences. I think this is the fourth. Um, the real difference is that you can uh, extend this. And that that seems nice, but it's actually really annoying because it's really hard to line back up again when, um, when you're trying to fold it back and down again. Um, the magnetic mount isn't your real concern unless you wipe out. Um, if you're gonna wipe out, then I would use an all-in-one gimbal. Uh, DJI is better as far as stability than anything on the market. Um, and I can say that safely without using anything else. It really is the best. Go ahead, Javier. I also use a DJI OM4, uh, and I think the, this is the, the magnetic holder. Uh, so once the, the tricky part is to get this fitting right in your phone, because like larger iPhones, like from the 12 Pro Max up, uh, it doesn't stick so well, and you have to take out the case. With the cases and the rounded corners, it won't fit it. So if uh, remove the case, put this in, do a proper balance. It'll be tricky with the bigger phones, but it's super stable. So I, I really like it. There is also like this hack where you can put like a metal plate in your case and try to put the case directly on the phone and on the gimbal. I would only do that in like no snowy, no no falling situation, but it also helps to to for the grip. Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, so I've been doing a little research into this, and it seems to me on Amazon the deals at the moment are really between uh, the 6 and the SE. And I've been trying to work out whether I can see what the difference is. The SE looks like it has a longer battery life, and the 6 seems to do the telescopic things that Jason showed. And I wondered whether I was missing uh, some other big difference. I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of them. I think the one thing with the DGI is that it... Uh, it requires you to register an app to just to use it. So I think the one one reason I know some people don't use it is because they're just, you know, there's there's becomes a sensitivity to every time a Chinese app asks you to register your phone. Uh, I think it brings up everybody's concerns. So uh, it's a, it's an odd thing that that they make you do that. It won't literally won't turn on. Your Osmo will not turn on without the app. So it seems like a very very odd thing to approach. I think that's the that's the biggest reason I've talked to people that don't use D DJI's. It's been over the the login pr procedure. Go ahead, Jason. Nigel is absolutely correct. This is the fifth generation. I'm sorry, I got that completely wrong. Yep. 
Uh, next question. Our next question comes from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. Morning, everyone. Is it possible to play out through a Decklink Duo 2 a keynote or PowerPoint presentation? If not, what are your workarounds to extend these presentations to screens, including animations? Thanks. Go ahead, Keely. The way that I would handle this is by using Ecamm uh, because I have it and I know that it works. Ecamm has a video output option if I needed that in order to push it out to any connected monitor that I needed and it would include anything I wanted. Go, Jason. I've used this repeatedly um, in Zoom, but I've never used it in live production. Uh, that said, it has never failed me. There is an app in the App Store for $55 called SDI Scan Converter that will take any um, desktop, any screen, or any program, and it will output it through your um, through your Duo 2. It works marvelously, and I've never seen it fail. I've never heard of that before. So you told me before the show, Jason said, I have something you've never heard of before. And I was like, I don't think, I don't think that's possible, but it is, it is. I, I, I have not heard of that. Um, yeah, that, that sounds great. Yeah. I, when we do it, we typically have keynote going out of an HDMI. We convert that HDMI immediately to SDI. So it just goes into either a decimator or it goes into some kind of black magic or AGA output. Um, that does that. I don't know if it sees the TTAP or not, whether it's, um, whether it will see that on AJA or not as a monitor. Um, so that's the only thing to look at. It's, it's whether Keynote can see it as a monitor, and I'm not 100% certain. Um, but mostly what we do is HDMI out, convert it to SDI, and then it's in our pipeline. Um, next question. Our next question comes from John Idelson in Monterey, California. Is it okay to have the ATEM control app running on the same network as your, a your NDI cameras? I don't re see any reason why you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, they, they just really use a lot of different protocols. The ATM itself, the ATM control app is so low bandwidth and, uh, you know, it's just sending back control information. So I, I think that, I think you'd be fine. Next question. Our next question comes from Brody Brazil in San Francisco, California. I'm considering a Rodecaster Pro 2 to use with my ATEM remote rig, but I've heard from several trusted sources that it's not exactly zero latency monitor or output with processing enabled. Can anyone confirm? Good, Courtney. Uh, I can't really confirm that because I've never really tested it, uh, but make sure if you have processing turned on that you have uh, the output processing. There is a delay on output delay if you see here in the uh, central and you go to your outputs, click on processing and output delay. Make sure that's off because uh, if you have a, Is that output delay for sync? Uh, yes. Yes, it's, it, it, uh, there's the master compeller and then there's output delay. Um, and it, del it will delay the output of the mixer over the USB uh, and over, I guess, any of the other USB outputs. Uh, you know, really, the only outputs here are, are monitor. I don't think it delays the outputs over the monitors. The monitors, my monitor is, I'm monitoring my own microphone now, and there's absolutely zero delay. Uh, and all the, it has four, four headphone monitor outputs, and they are all analog and zero delay, even with processing turned on. But w there is echo processing. If you have processing turned on on your original microphone and you have echo turned on or reverb turned on, there will, of course, be a delay, and you will definitely hear it. But uh, <laughs> if you have the processing turned on, uh, you you may not realize it, but there is output proce output processing, which is a separate uh, checkbox uh, for processing. Next question. 
can't hear you. Our next question comes from Sean Pickering in Loughborough, UK. The Feiyu Tech Detachable Cordless Gimbal just went on sale on Kickstarter today. It seems like a wireless Insta360 link with remote control. Has anyone looked at this? Seems interesting. And there's a link in the chat. Now, what I will encourage folks to do is try to answer questions about new products before six o'clock, because uh, then we, it gives us a t it gives us a chance to to actually get there. Now, the, also the link is taking me to a four hundred four. So, don't know. Ask that question again. Just put it in tomorrow morning early, and <laughs> we'll take a look at it and have an opinion. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from Deborah Woodfork in Washington D.C. Jamie Lee Curtis recently made the case that Oscar events and dinners and concerts should sometimes happen in the day versus at night. What are the factors that come into play when planning these times events in terms of timing? Good, Courtney. Well, with celebrities, their schedules are all over the place, and I think they're originally at night because most of them are working in the day if they're in town. So um, <clears throat> scheduling them during the day makes a big headache for uh Scheduling and production, especially if they're actors or directors or people that are involved in current productions. I know on Dexter, we used to have to, <clears throat> whenever Comic-Con would come up, we used to have to plan very carefully around the schedules of the actors because they'd have to do a panel. We'd have to take a day off uh, during the day as they travel down to San Diego to do a panel at Comic-Con. So those kind of... Uh, there's a uh, pre-awards dinner, I think, for the nominees, but I think that's at night. So... They generally happen at night. Happen happening in the daytime might be a little more problematic, uh, schedule-wise. Yeah, the, I think the, the big thing is just messiness. So they want to have fun, and they don't want to be at more messy than they already are when they accept their awards or if they're in front of a bunch of big cameras. So I think that they would probably, most of them would probably prefer to 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 show up all cleaned up and then be able to loosen up. I mean, they've got really expensive dresses and stuff. A lot of people will change after that. So they'll do their, they'll go in and they're in this, you know, $60,000 dress or $20,000, you know, suit or whatever. And then they they switch out of that before they go to the party. And so the, the those things are kind of, um, you know, it, it really depends. But I think that that's, I don't think, you know, if she was really trying to make a case that they should do it them earlier. I think she was just saying she's not going. <laughs> so I think I think she's just like I'm not going there because I don't do late night, uh, and so I think that that's probably more more the thing there. But but yeah, I think it would be hard to move to the afternoon. There's also just an enormous number of logistics getting ready. You know, for a tier one actor getting ready for the Oscars is an all day thing. They start at eight or nine in the morning. We've done some behind the scenes of them kind of getting ready. But it's, you know, for them to be there in the evening when you see them um, at whatever time, 5 o'clock or 5.30 or whatever that is in, in the West Coast, uh, they started oftentimes between somewhere between 6 and 9 a.m., depending on how much may, hair and makeup and and uh, the kind of dress and how custom it was and what it takes to do. And then they have to get a limo and then they have to show up and then they have to – there's – the logistics is already really tight. And I think that they wouldn't have any fun going to a party. <laughs> so anyway, uh, next question. Our next question comes from Chad Vegas in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We recently started util utilizing Ross expression at my church for lower thirds and playing clips. Does the panel know of a way to output the time of a clip to show a clip countdown on a confidence monitor? You know, we're going to have Ross on talking about expressions in the not too distant future. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I don't have I don't have that that direct answer uh, about what that looks like, but we are planning to have them on. So save save that thought. And we're going to have them on and have them talk directly about expression. So, and you'll be able to ask that question again. Next question. Our next question comes from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. 
So what's your holy moly broadcast story? And there's a very entertaining YouTube clip link uh, in there. I have nothing that will top that one, says Chris. <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, if you look at that YouTube lip, uh, clip, lip, we may not be able to show it here because we get, might get pulled down for copyright. But uh, uh, two guys are doing getting ready to do a podcast and they're saying, well, how's the sound? Gee, it's so quiet out there. And in the window behind them, a car is approaching and crashes right into the window directly behind them, knocking glass and stuff all over the two people. No one was hurt. <laughs> but, uh, my uh, my topper for that was 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 a bit of a uh, a ghost moment for me. Turned me into white as a sheet. Uh, I was doing teleprompting on the Super Bowl, and. Uh, it was the pregame show, which goes out all over the world. Uh, and uh, I was in the, in the booth uh, with the broadcasters up in the, up in the uh, broadcast booth overlooking the field. And as we're in the middle of that show, I hear a beep. Uh, and I look down, and my UPS has gone off. So somewhere, somebody plugged something in, and it took my AC feed down. And I had about, it was a two-hour show. And I had about 10 minutes worth of AC left in the UPS. So during a commercial, we were frantically looking around to find another source of power to plug the teleprompter in because it would have been a short show uh, had that only teleprompter <laughs> gone down uh, in the middle of the Super Bowl. So that was kind of a, a white sheet moment there. Go ahead, Jason. I have definitely ripped across an auditorium in an attempt to find a fuse box um, it, similarly, but I, I think my favorite of all time is Alex and the flaming broadcast truck. <laughs> yeah, there, there, a fire. <laughs> yeah there, there was a, we had, we had a little bit of a fire. Uh, yeah, and, and over comms, all you heard, it was before the broadcast, fortunately, but all the comms, you just hear, Marty, Marty we got smoke in the broadcast, smoke in the broadcast. You know, that's, all, that's all you hear from our guys is just like, this is this flat tone of, and you see Marty running across the desert <laughs> to try to figure out what happened uh, to our truck. Uh, it was a uh, square wave going into our, our UPSs, um, did not, square wave power going into our UPSs, and they did not like it at all. Um, and so we burned up a couple of UPSs there. Power is the thing that gets you the most. So we had a um, in the Excel uh, Theater in London, we lost power. Uh, but it, what was great was that, not great, but as good as it could be, all the power in the house went out, except that everything that we have is on UPS. And so all the lights went out in the, with all the people in it and all the back end where everyone was doing production went out. And there was one little island of lights. <laughs> if you want to talk about job security with your client is everybody goes out and we put up a we'll be right back slide, you know, and uh, and because we had UPS everything all the way out to the stream. And um, the client was like, OK, these guys pay attention to those things. And so uh, we've had a couple couple of those. I think that the, the probably the holy moly moment for me was uh, we had I was doing a show in D.C., um, we were getting set up again, not during the show, but we had an active shooter um, in the, you know, at Howard University while, you know, while we were getting ready to go. And, and of course, I'm wandering around trying to find them, find them because currently my, my wife is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this guy's going to screw up my broadcast. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm going to go, I'm going to sort this out. So anyway, but he was fine, found. It was all, all fine. Um, uh, next question. Our next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. When you're watching walking videos from various places on YouTube, what do YouTubers use to make them so immersive and smooth? Is it a gimbal like the Osmo or stabilization in software? Uh, go ahead, Javier. You could use a gimbal or like even now, like Filmic has like different uh, states of stabilization and you can use software. But in my experience, what really works is 
doing the like perfecting your walking it's like steady cams like uh like gimbals each of those have a different like feeling to it and uh, like a fly cam will not feel the same as an easy rig and it will feel the same as a, a gimbal so uh the one you try to 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 make it work try to 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 practice with it like even like now a lot of phones have like uh optical stabilization in the lenses so that helps a lot so i have seen people do like very well uh stable videos like walking like handheld and have seen people trying the whole uh like um easy rigs or gimbals and they they feel like a muppet head so you have to practice this it's, it's a craft good courtney yeah i think a lot of people are using the gopro hero sevens or eights because they've got rid the optical i mean the, the electronic image stabilization in those 4k units especially if they're doing 1080p and not 4k has gotten really good if you go look at uh, Hiking with Kevin is a good website to check out. Uh, Kevin Nealon does this hiking uh, podcast, and he does it all the production himself. He's got a, a GoPro on a stick, and that's his entire crew. And he, he records now wirelessly uh, or in you know, his units that record in the units for the uh, for the sound. But he had used started it with just a little uh, um, – shotgun mic on top of the GoPro and it sounded great and he's hiking up and down hills and doing conducting interviews with other celebrities as they're walking up and down these hills throughout Malibu and and the Hollywood Hills so uh, it would be a lot of camera shake and it would be unwatchable if he didn't have the optical image stabilization turned on and it looks very smooth like there was a crew following him with a steady cam. I'm amazed. Good Jason. So, I mean, the reason that the 360s work so well is because, of course, they have a gyroscope in them, so it can tell when it's being turned and tilted. So the minute it goes through the application, um, you know, it, it will render out and track really nicely in, in a steady frame. But, of course, you know, the original lo-fi way of doing this is a two-man rig, one person shooting and another person holding his harness from the back, looking forward and basically guiding them. Um, I've done that before. And it actually works really well. Next question. Our next question comes from Brett Bilo in Appleton, Wisconsin. I don't use Zoom, Zoom's app sidebar, and I find it distracting during meetings. I close the bar whenever I open Zoom, but I can't find a setting that permanently collapses it. Is there a way to do this? Because I'm ready to cover it up with a tall strip of gaff tape. Yeah, so if uh, in the lower... In that lower, in the lower right, where you where you see that there's a there's an, a vertical ellipse, the three dots, and if you click on that, you'll see a little thing that's checked that says "Open for all meetings." And if you uncheck that and then close that that panel, it should go away. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from Taleka Lopez Waterman from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Is there a way to forward an email photo and all <laughs> to a Discord thread? Good, Keely. That is me. So in my investigations this morning, this isn't a question that I have been asked before, but you can use a app like, uh, like Zapier to automate that process. So if I can, I'm not going to go to that screen, but uh, by integrating that and using the Zapier custom email to message, you can forward the email that has the content in it, and it will post automatically to the channel that you have uh, requested that integration to connect to. So that would be your solution. That's great. Next question. 
Our next question comes from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. Apple Maps now supports a look around in major cities in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. How does look around compare to Google Maps and does it work where you are? Go ahead, Javier. I think Apple Maps is one of my favorite, like the UI, and I really think it looks great. But the problem is that it's very different in each country. Uh, I've used it like in LA and San Francisco, and it's impressive. And it has like the underpasses and the trees and everything mapped out. In Mexico, you have like basic directions. They don't they don't have the loop around <laughs> still. Uh, you have like normal, but you can't see like uh, the street levels. And uh, it's like missing a lot of things. I, it's supposed to, they, they started the map in Mexico, I think in 2022. That's like very weird that they just started doing it. Uh, but uh, here it's not the same experience. So I, I, I'll, I will... I will hold my judgment until then. It's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I find it. I, I used to just poo-poo Apple Maps and not touch it because it had so many wrong turns. And I, 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 over time, I got used to it. And, and then when my new my new phone came out, I just forgot to put Google Maps on it. It was just kind of like because one of the things about Apple Maps that pulls you in is that it has a link. Every time someone sends you a link or you click on an address, it just opens up Apple Maps. And so you get used to it because it's just constantly pulling you back into it. It, otherwise, when you do Google Maps, you're like, oh, I got to cut and paste this thing and cha-chunk, cha-chunk, cha-chunk. And, and so that tends to um, reduce the amount of usage. And that's what a lot of Monopoly folks get, get, get upset about is that it reduces your usage and increases their usage. Uh, but I will find that over time, Apple has obviously spent a lot of money on it. And over time, especially in the United States, it's gotten to the point where it's just much more visually ple pleasing. I find it to be as accurate as Google Maps at this point and much more visually pleasing than Google Maps. Um, I will say that it doesn't, we were talking about this a little bit before, but uh, it it doesn't think outside the box very much. So it, it will not tell you how to go on side streets and, and so on and so forth um, as you go through. Go ahead, Javier. Just adding to your, uh, like, all the features that it has, if you're having an iPhone, it's great that even if you're liking a message, if you say, I'm going to, it will take your route and, like, the endpoint, send it to other people, or I'm at, and it will send a link to that place. So, like, all the integrations to the iOS and Apple ecosystem is it's an awesome app, just missing some features in some places. The one thing that neither of them have, unless I'm missing something, is there used to be an app that uh, this is long ago, maybe 10, over 10 years ago, called Twist. And Twist was an app that you could say, I'm coming to you and I would send you a twist and it would um, tell you how far away I was. Like it would do the map backwards and it would tell you where I am and how far away. Glimpse, um, Glimpse will do that. Yeah, the Glimpse was like, there was something about it that Glimpse didn't do, but I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a look, I'll look at it again. And what we were able to do is stack up all these people in, in, in Twist because it would have this little list of all the people that sent us twists. And we could, and we could um, do, I'll, I'll look at Glimpse to see. There was some reason we didn't use Glimpse and I don't remember why. Um, and it probably was like some little edge to it that we didn't like because the twist was so easy. And we would, I admit, at, at one point we started just uh, requiring our teams to send, like if you, if you were on a call sheet, the call sheet was when you turned the twist on so that we just knew where our crew was um, on the way in. Uh, so that we just knew, oh, they're behind, they're here, they're here, whatever, and and um, and so it was it was really addicting to have have it on there. Uh, go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I find there's a difference here whether I'm walking, driving, and what country I'm in. Mm -hmm. So you really need to have a range. So I've just been back in the old country driving around, and I find ways when I drive the best way around traffic, but I don't find it good when I'm walking around like a large city like London where the UI of Apple Maps or Google is much better. So sadly, there doesn't seem to be one answer to this question for all uses. 
Yeah, I, I always when I turn on Waze, I always feel like I'm watching a Saturday morning cartoon. So it, that's probably why I don't use it all the time. But I will say that every time I we were talking about this as well, I, every time I get into a pinch, like oh, I need to get around something, I turn open up Waze. Okay, how do I how do I do this? Because it'll ignore all of the rules of like communities. <laughs> it will say, I'm going to send you through the back streets and get you out of here. And so, um, so I, I, it's kind of like when I pull the rip stop. Uh, next question. Ripcord. Douglas Carmichael is back with our next question. And he asks, John Mayer will be starting a solo tour this year that focuses on acoustic, vocal and guitar or vocal and piano. Those are the renditions of his popular songs. For an all acoustic tour, would you still want to use a large format console, even with a lower channel count? Uh, go ahead, Javier. Uh, remember that uh, not because he will be uh, doing acoustic versions, he's going to use like two channels. He'll definitely use a lot of channels, like different things. You have maybe a different microphone set uh, along the the stage and every different thing. So that would be the first one. You you won't you won't have like two inputs or four inputs. Gonna still have like. 50 inputs or 30 inputs. The second part is like the sound. I think John Myers, I think he uses Digico mixers. So part of the of the decision of the front of house engineer of using it is the sound, like the preamps, the routing options, the EQs, the dynamics. So you wouldn't change all of that. It's like asking a surgeon to only use one blade because he will only gonna open one part of your body. He will have his full set, his full uh, equipment to do it. So it's the same with the uh, production gear. I think it's the first time I've ever heard someone compare an audio engineer to a surgeon. It's not it's not, a, not necessarily a misguided metaphor. I think that kind of works. Go ahead, uh, Jason. Yeah, they truly are surgeons, especially Mickey. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the A1 is going to use whatever they want and whatever they're comfortable on. And chances are, if they're an accomplished A1, they're going to be um, using a larger console. And um, good luck getting them to not do that. It just doesn't really make sense. And just a reminder, you can ask questions throughout the show. So um, if you've got questions right now, go ahead and throw those questions in and make sure to vote on the questions. Uh, this, you know, All the way through the show, you're constantly moving our run of show. You're changing what we're going to discuss based on your voting and your questions. So go ahead and throw those questions in. Let's go to the next question. Paul Terry Wallace from Austin, Texas is back. What's the best source of AI news and how would you rate these sources? Please do it in order. AI Magazine, Analytics Insight Magazine, AI Trends, MIT News, Wired, Dataversity, OpenAI, AI News, Emerge, Extreme Tech, and Science Daily. Go ahead, Courtney. Well, since I don't subscribe to all of those, I don't know if I could arrange them. In order, I do look at Science Daily. The problem with magazines is they're... Uh, uh, editorial time, and it takes uh, a few weeks a lot of times to uh, get those magazines out and published, and AI is changing so swiftly that uh, what you're reading in those magazines is probably out of date. What I, I, I found a site uh, online that, that is a pretty good organizer. It's called uh, futuretools.io, and it, it has a collection of uh, all the best AI tools so you can become a superhuman. And it has news up here, which is uh, usually kept up to date. And it has a list of uh, articles uh, and links to all of them uh, by day. And they're up to date, March 6th, you can see there. Plus, uh, Matt Wolf, who is the guy that runs it, uh, does a lot of great YouTube uh, instructional videos on you know, I think I just watched one on how to use ChatGPT to craft prompts for MidJourney. So that's kind of an interesting aspect. But Preto, I'm sure, will rate all these in the right order for me. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Paul, oh, I'm giving you all my secrets now. So 
the first thing I do is I, I use TweetDeck and then I list um, hashtag AI and hashtag artificial intelligence, those two hashtags. And then you just get streams of, of new press releases and people tweeting. It's a fantastic source. And then the other, not one of those sources that you list up there are timely, like like uh, Courtney said. And the other thing is tons of great stuff on YouTube and then just sort by recent date and you'll get some great information. All of the principles of OpenAI and DeepMind, watch those interviews from those guys. Uh, Lex Friedman has had all of those guys on his show and they're absolutely fabulous. And also keep keep track of uh Tech meme is a is it's not really an AI one, but a general one. And I got I can tell you that some a lot of C suite folks uh, at, at a lot of companies uh, read tech meme at least a couple times a day. <laughs> so um, that's kind of what they're tracking a lot of the time. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Kenneth Jones in Seattle, Washington. Other than for style, why choose a small diaphragm condenser microphone over a large diaphragm device? Uh, go ahead, uh, Javier. Uh, there are a lot of different things are uh, different when you choose a mic. Uh, you have to take into account different things. Sorry. Uh, so it's not only that like the sound quality, but it also be like for example, smaller diaphragm uh, microphones tend to have a faster transient response. That would be especially in percussion instruments or like uh, like uh, very quick uh, moving instruments. They help a lot with the details. You also be choosing it because of the frequency response. Like smaller diaphragm tends to capture high frequencies easier. Uh, so you. Sometimes it's the sonic quality, and other times could be because it's easier to fit. It, it depends what with you're using it. So remember that choosing a microphone is like a long list of things. It's like the acoustic qualities, the the electric qualities, the polar pattern. So uh, it depends a lot of things like that. Go ahead, Jason. Well, yeah, and don't forget SPL. Um, when I think of a small diaphragm condenser mic, um, I think of a lavalier. I think of an area mic. Um, I think of uh, maybe certain shotgun mics. But like it, the the crossover of like you know a large area condenser mic and a small to me the the use case is so different that it's it's kind of hard to think of a use case where you're thinking, hmm, I, I don't know which one to use. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I've never seen a large diaphragm mic uh, in a supercardioid. It's hard to do directionality with a large diaphragm uh, condenser. Almost all the small diaphragm condensers, all the directional mics like the Sennheisers, uh, any of the ones that use an interference tube, you, know, you have to have that interference tube so the capsule has to fit inside that long tube. So to make something uh, really directional, supercardioid or shotgun, you got to have a small diameter uh, capsule. Uh, also, you know, in lavaliers, uh, the smaller diameter capsule, the smaller the capsule gets, the more sensitive it can become. It's harder to shock mount, the more sensitive it can become to clothing noise, which is a big problem with lavaliers. Uh, and of course, you can't hang a large diaphragm condenser around someone's neck very easily. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace from Austin, Texas is back. He's asking, Google Drive, Docs, Sheets, and Slides are all getting a new look from a user-centered design perspective. What is your view of the Sheets, Docs, Slides, et cetera? Go ahead, Jason. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. My, honestly, my very favorite way to access Google Drive is through a Synology RAID so that I don't have to see their interface and however they want to play it, you know, this day or this minute. Um, I, I haven't seen the new UI design, and I guess I misread the question. Um, I, I thought I thought he was asking what was the best way to, what was your favorite way to look at, at Google Drive? 
Yeah, I, I mean, overall, I I haven't looked at it in, in detail. I haven't, haven't thought about it much when I when I opened it. I, I think in general, I find that the Google Docs is is a great way to collaborate with other people. So it it has you know if you're going to open something up and have people be able to put their own stuff into it, <clears throat> a lot of times you have a shared. Uh, the probably the thing we use the most is shared sheets. Um, I very rarely open up a doc, but but shared sheets is really, really popular as far as keeping everything for a run of show or or planning. Uh, and then slides is a great way for people to collaborate. A lot of times we've used slides for us to all work on something, but then we take it out and turn it into Keynote. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, you know, because it, it, we actually want it to look nice. Um, and I don't find that slides, it's pretty hard. To, you know, a lot of the creature comforts that we're used to in Keynote of, of how things look and how they work and animate um, is is not something that usually is available in slides at the same level. And it's all based on a browser, which is really frustrating for a lot of us. So, um, but but when it comes to collaborating with other people, everyone having access to the app or the, the file and everyone working on it, it's, it's probably still the best. Um, next question. Our next question is from Kenneth Jones in Seattle, Washington. Of the half dozen or so camera sensor size choices, which is the least popular and why? Go ahead, Jason. All right. Uh, people may disagree with me on this, but I think APS-C is probably the least popular because there's only one good reason to use it. You have more control over... Um, at a fixed aperture, you have more control over like a really finite uh, depth of field. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I can't think of a single use case for it. That or MFT are, are kind of at the top of my uh, my list. You go to my, Nigel. Yeah, I bought my way into an APS-C camera system, the Fujifilm, and I sort of wish I hadn't. And it makes the cameras a lot lighter. Uh, it makes them a bit cheaper. But I think I think if I could have started again, I probably would have gone full frame. I know the medium format is specifically useful for certain types of photo photography. But I, I'd say if you were really starting again, you'd have to really think carefully about uh, why you wouldn't just stick with a full frame. And I think the question is also whether you're talking about video cameras or or, or still cameras. I I started with an APS and, or started with full frame because I was using film and then then had APS and then back to full frame. When it comes to still cameras, I would definitely go for full full frame. I wouldn't bother with the micro four thirds for video. Micro micro four thirds actually, there's a lot of video cameras that do that relatively successfully. The um, and video and APS and micro four thirds are pretty close to the same size as far as their their the sensor size. The least pop, the, the most popular one is probably two thirds inch because that's what all the broadcasters use, and that's why everything is in focus. Um, uh, the probably the least popular these days is one third inch, one quarter inch. There's a lot of little PTZ cameras floating around. You want to kind of keep your eye on those. Um, we usually consider one half inch the bare minimum for a chip size for HD. Um, but um, and and we like to start really. I mean, almost all the cameras I shoot on these days are thir super thirty five or above. Next question. Our next question comes from Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California. When building a light kit, should aperture lights be considered the new standard? Uh, aperture lights are great. Um, you know, they um, you know they they definitely have a lot of creature comforts in them. Um, they they have a great lineup that they've built out. Uh, we're um, I use a lot of nan lights, which are just a little less expensive than the aperture lights, and I'm, I've bought hundreds of them. <laughs> so, 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 and they've been, uh, fairly rugged, uh, given that we ship them all over the place. And so, um, for what we're using them for, we found that the NAN lights worked, uh, really well, but I, but I do, I stop by the booth and track all the new changes. Aperture is not only a great company, but they keep on, you know, adding a lot to the, um, lot to the, what they're doing. Uh, note that there is NAN light. This is something that 
kind of blew my mind. I've been using Nanolights for a couple of years now, or three or four years. And, uh, and, I, and I really like them, and I use them for a lot of things. Everything here is all Nanolite, and I, we buy them for our kits. Uh, and, I, and I saw someone running, and they had a Nan Lux light. And I was like, what is Nan Lux? Nan Lux is the high-end version of Nan Light. <laughs> so I didn't know that there was a Nan Lux. Then it was these huge, it was just one of our lighting guys just brought them to one of our shows. And I was like, what is Nan Lux? It's, they're really nice. <laughs> so good, Courtney. Uh, yeah, and since you're in LA, uh, and you have, if you have a really deep wallet, uh, Airy LED lights uh, line are really great because they've got a, a large number of lights with professional uh Gobos, barn doors, snoots, uh, and every type of light you can imagine, all all uh, DMX controllable. Uh, but I see most of what I see is aperture lights when I work with uh, smaller crews, you know, two or three man crews, aperture lights. Not until you get into the 40 or 50 man crew do you see the, you know, the lighting truck pull up with all the uh, airy lights and the Mull Richardsons on them. Yeah, um, my when I work with my my brother was working on some stuff. <laughs> Listening to my brother and Tlaloc go back and forth on lights, I, I, they they had an entirely new set of lights that I had never heard of before. I didn't know any of the names of any of the lights, but but they all did. And and I was like, okay, you know. And and so uh, they, there is there's definitely when you say standard, there is what we use as kind of the hot you know mid end professional, and then there is film standard and bigger you know theater standards and everything else and those lights start to scale into a different price range as well as a different set of features a different feature set next question our next question comes from chris widener in lafayette indiana several manufacturers have now beaten apple to the ar market has anyone tested the xiaomi ar glasses i go ahead john yeah several people beat apple to the music playing business they beat apple to the the smartphone business it's all about the ecosystem. That's why they're going to win. Here you go, Jason. Apple has no interest in being first. They have started years in um, to developing the the 3D frameworks and the ways to ingest. And um, yeah, none of that matters. When Apple hits, they're going to hit hard. Good, Nigel. Yeah, I think those are two great answers. The other thing, I think if you're a product manufacturer thinking of getting into this space, you've got to ask yourself, why would you go now? What's the upside of putting a product in the market ahead of Apple? And the only upside I can think of is having spent all the money on the development, you'd A, like to recoup a little bit of it, but B, you're just trying to get yourself in the conversation. You're trying to get yourself into the flow and the zeitgeist of the product grouping so that when Apple does come and rather blanket the market, there's a chance for you to get at least have your voice in there and for comparisons. But no one no one who's doing this seriously is going to uh, really go until Apple have said what they are or are not doing. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, you know, there's an op- always opportunity around it, as, as Nigel's kind of pointing out there, is that, you know, like you look at Midjourney, Midjourney's big push was they were sitting there and Dolly did a huge PR push and suddenly everyone wanted in and Dolly was like, no, 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 it's, it's mem- you know, invite only. And a whole bunch of us, including me, all just flowed into Midjourney <laughs> because Midjourney was there and we could play with it. And, uh, and they really kind of took that market pretty, pretty heavily. Um, I don't, I, it went from, I don't know what Midjourney is to, I don't know anyone almost, I mean, I know a handful of people personally that use Dolly. You know, like it's, it's, you know, everybody I talk to is all using mid journey. And that was because there was a, a high end flow and it, they blocked it. And so Apple will put out something that's, that's a high end tool. Um, that's probably two or 3,000, $3,500 each. 
there's going to be a huge market of people who are passionate and get excited about all, all Apple's marketing but can't afford it. And so in the $500 or $1,500 range, is probably going to be a pretty, pretty a lively market. Will, be, will it be as good as Apple's? Probably not. Will it ha ex have the whole market explode? Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I think that there's still, oops, sorry, there's still a lot of opportunity for that. Next question. Chris Widener is back with our next question. Why do companies add odd visual transitions to websites? Many of them in low bandwidth situations are very choppy. Is it just a digital divide problem or is it bad design? Go ahead, uh, Jason. I mean, if if it actually is is being affected by your bandwidth, um, then the layout responsive design aspect is just completely broken. This should be completely agnostic of of the size of the screen. Uh, it should be done with CSS or really like JavaScript, and it should be pretty much instantaneous. So um, the answer is I have no idea, but what a bad idea. Go ahead, Courtney. I think this all started with Flash. When Flash came in, uh, you know, it was everybody, oh, I want my, and you click on something and it'll bounce up and down and it'll zoom up to the corner and twirl around and fly across over here. And so people got into doing flash animation on their websites. And, uh, and now that flash has been banned from the internet, <laughs> uh, you can do the same thing, uh, with HTML5, but, uh, uh, and CSS, but, I think they got hooked into that animation to try and draw attention to effects. I hate it. I hate it when you have to search around for where to click to go to the next page or uh, it has the scrolling pages that are overlapping at different rates and you have to, something's always in the way. Uh, and a lot of that, I think, comes from Squarespace templates or people that uh, do uh, uh, publishing you know, on the internet cheaply and easily by just enter your stuff into a template. And so that's why a lot of these places look uh, use the same templates over and over again. You see the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. I was talking to someone else about this around events as well and around broadcast. And one of the things you always have to kind of check yourself is what is actually going to produce use for the user and what are they going to actually, you know, what is going to improve their experience? And I think that oftentimes, you know, I think that for instance, sports do actually generally do it pretty well. They have to put a lot of that stuff in because it kind of creates that that energy and so on and so forth. But when I watch a lot of other shows, and you'll see this, and we'll talk about when we talk about lower thirds, about how little lower thirds do. You know, when you I went and grabbed all this stuff from broadcast last night, like literally. So it's, I, when we do these lower third ones or the super source ones, I always do them fresh. You know, I want to get them that day. So I, like this is what it's not old, my old library. It's always like this is what's happening right now, and. I noticed that, you know, they just don't put a lot of, they don't try to make them very flashy. They make them useful. They tell you what they need. There's a little bit of flash here and there. Um, and I think that web designers, you know, they, this is their job. This is what they do. They get to look at all the cool things and then they get excited about the cool things. And I think we see that with, in events with LED walls, people are like, oh, I could put an LED wall and then I could have things animating all over the place. And then we could have little bubbles and we could do all those things and we could have things flying across it. And to the event group that is making it, it looks cool. Does it actually move the conversation forward? Does it actually serve the brand? Not so sure. <laughs> you know? And so, so I think that that's it. I think that the company, obviously, for most of these things, is that, that does it the best for presentations is probably Apple. But I hate their website. You know, like like about half of Apple's website, I can't, I don't want to go to because it's got exactly what we're talking about. All this kind of weird stuff that's scrolling. When I go to a website, I just want to know what I'm looking for. Like I just want to see what I'm looking for. I want to find the information that I need. I don't need it now. It should look nice, but anytime it, it means that I have to 
anytime I have to kind of do this weird thing where I'm moving through, doing lots of movement just to get to the information that I want, I usually don't go. So I don't go to the Apple website almost ever other than the, the, other than to buy things, which I do more often than I should. I don't go there very often because I don't want to find the information there because of the way it's displayed. Um, so I definitely agree with that. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm just too old <laughs> for that, but I, 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 I go to a lot of things and I, I just don't like having, having to, um, you know, do a spelunking to find what I'm looking for. Um, uh, another, another reminder that you can ask questions, especially for the second hour as well. So remember, you can start asking questions now for the second hour. It makes our second hour go a lot uh, smoother when we have a lot, when we know what you want to talk about. So ask questions for the second hour, but also you can ask questions for the first hour. You can make sure to vote on the questions um, all the way through the hour because you can keep on designing how we're talking about these things. All right, next question. Our next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. I read an article about a small company that still sells 3.5 inch floppy disks, and it mentions that some audio lighting equipment still uses them. Has anybody had an experience with using a USB floppy emulator to replace said floppy drive? Go ahead, Jason. Um, yeah, I have. It was, it was on a synthesizer a very long time ago for a studio owner. Um, but yeah, it's it's totally doable. Um, I haven't had to go any farther back than um, than USB 1.1. Luckily, um, it gets a little bit trickier after that. Good, Courtney. Uh, I have I don't know about a USB floppy emulator, but there are floppy emulators that terminate in uh, uh, what an internal floppy drive looks like, and then it takes a uh, SD card or a USB stick on the front of it. Uh, and I've added those to my Kurzweil. Uh, 2000. I've also added a uh, uh, SD card to SCSI adapter for the hard drive because it originally only had a SCSI adapter in there and it would only take up to two gigabytes or something of drives. But uh, they work quite well and you can store, you know, 50 to 100 floppies on a small SD, micro SD card. And so it becomes very easy to, uh, to access a lot more floppies that way. Go, Jason. Yeah, um, my favorite use case um, is for uh, for an iPod. For an iPod Classic, you can actually take the boards out of these and um, put an SD card in there. So it's, it's about as good as it gets for old storage and new. Yeah, we've we've had to use them. Usually, we, we there's a there's a motion control system. I don't know if they've upgraded it, but for when we used it, the Cooper system still had a had a uh, use a floppy. And, and the funny thing about the Cooper system is, is that we had like one floppy to use for it. And so we were doing this high-end stuff in, in Motion Builder to build the curves. Um, although the Cooper curve system is a little bit better, in my opinion, over time, you know, to get the, the smoothest movements. But but the uh, we'd build all these things on in Maya and and then we had to we had to write it out to a little floppy. And the floppy was just like a thousand hand, like a thousand dirty handprints all over it. And you're always like, <laughs> stick it into the Cooper. <laughs> but it still works. Next question. Our next question comes from Sandra Nell from Miami, Florida. Hello, panel. Can you please recommend smooth panning and tilting PTZ cameras with SDI outputs that are also good at high dynamic range? So, for example, a theater-style event application in the 4 to 6K range. With those requirements, I would say you probably want to look at the Canon N500. Um, that's, that it is about $5,300. Uh, I believe it's a one-inch sensor, and it does it. It will do a log output um, so that you could convert it to HDR, and uh, it's probably pretty smooth. I, I think that Greg Gibson might have a couple of those, um, but he. Uh, but I think that um, they're not as good as the new Sony's that we've been looking at. But but they are. Um, but 
it's a it's a pretty solid camera. I think in that price range, it looks. I haven't used one, but it looks. And I, what I've heard is it's probably the best in that price range that that you can get. I'll go ahead, Jason. Um, just a quick question, Alex. What does that have over the bird dog? Uh, it, I think the sensor is. I think I believe the sensor is considerably bigger. Um, you know, at the same price. So I don't think the bird dogs. I think there's the bird dog that might have a larger one further down the path, and then. It has the log output. I don't know if the bird dogs do log, um, you know, for it. So it's got a couple, you know, it's got LUT outputs and so on and so forth. And I'm not sure if the bird dog does that or not. So I'm not 100% sure, um, you know, what that what that looks like. But but the, uh, I haven't done them head to head, but everybody I've talked to is, is in the price range when they're buying a 5,000. The N500 is the one that they're all, they're all buying right now. Uh, next question. Chris Widener is back with this existential exploration. Microsoft makes Outlook free to use for Mac, but does anybody care? <laughs> My thought exactly when it was released. Go ahead, John. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Nigel. Well, I think Microsoft cares. Actually, I, I have found that uh, I, I, in my mail, I keep church and state separately. So I keep my work email in Outlook and I keep all my personal email in, uh, in mail, partly because I don't want them to merge. I don't want them to mix. And so I have to tell you, I actually prefer the UI of Outlook than the UI of mail, but it's just the way I like my UIs. I think the problem that uh, Microsoft is having is, you know, the walls are starting to crack and now Outlook can do Zoom and Outlook can do everything. And uh, someone mentioned the word ecosystems earlier, and I think this is about the battle of ecosystems. I I don't know this is going to get them very far, but if I was Microsoft and product management in, in office, which is probably the most profitable business, I'd get increasingly concerned about how good a job Apple is doing on its office products. And it's probably seeing a nibbling of market share. And it's probably hoping, and it's probably hope over expectation, that Outlook will give them some rearguard action to try and hold that share. Yeah, I, I don't know if they, I, I don't know. If, I mean, I don't, I, it's always, it seems like an anomaly when I say, because I only use the Apple products, but I've only used the Apple products for, I don't know, two decades <laughs> since they came out. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I won't put anything else on my computer. So I, so you, I will, if I send you something in word, it means I exported it from pages. Um, and, uh, and so I'm very just all one, one sided on that. But, but what I will say is a lot of people are starting to track, you're starting to see articles come up. We've heard about this in, in conversations, but the articles are starting to come out about how concerned everyone is about what's happening in grade school. And the reason for that is, is that, um, you know, so there's a, there's a, uh, financial times did a thing for, in the United States uh, only 10% of, of students have uh, a Samsung phone and it's something well over 70% that have, uh, that have iPhones. Um, and that is a, when people look into the future that terrifies them <laughs> because that means that, that there's a bunch of people that are sitting in that ecosystem, um, that, that are moving down the path. And I talked to my daughter about it. My daughter's 14 years old. And I said, so what's, you know, do you see Do you have a lot of friends with Android? No, no one buys an Android on purpose. <laughs> like that was her thing. And I was like, so is the green bubble a big thing? And she's like, oh yeah, green bu- bubble is a huge thing. And I said, the teasing is, is intense. If you have a green bubble, <laughs> like, you know, like it's not like nobody because you, you ruin all their conversations, you know? And so they're, you know, like by putting your green bubble into the middle of their blue bubbles. And so, uh, so I thought that it was really interesting to see that, but uh, people are starting to track this because it's becoming 70, 80%, sometimes 90% in some areas 
iPhone usage for kids. And that means what are they going to choose when they go to college? What are they going to choose when they have to identify things? And so this is a, you know, a big churning thing. And, you know, I think that the attempt was that Google had was to use, of course, get into the education market. But most what they've done is they figured out how to attach what kids hate, which is mostly school, with their, their, um, Chromebooks. <laughs> so, 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 so Google, so, you know, so kids, you know, like, so they've actually done the wrong, you know, cause it's not exciting to use the Chromebook, the Chromebook, my, my kids would throw it in the pool if I let them, uh, go ahead, uh, Jason. Uh, you know, the real question is how much would I pay to never see Outlook ever again, like on a client's machine? And the answer is a considerable sum. My main problem with Outlook is that Microsoft has never met a database stack that they can't corrupt in three years or less. And that makes me absolutely crazy. Yeah, good, Nigel. Yeah, actually, I think what's going to be interesting here is the person that comes up with a replacement for the mail client, which is something completely different as a way of a communication tool. And I particularly, I'm interested in AI tools. So it can automatically reply to all the emails I really don't want to see and maybe spam them continuously if they spam me. Good, John. Jason hit the nail on the head. I came from PC to Mac. I got smart and then, and then got a real computer. Every time I would get up to 20 gig or 40 gig on my PST, it would crash and run super, super slow. And so, and I don't use Apple Mail for that reason. All my mail is all web-based for that specific reason. Yeah, I, I, I try to move around it. And there's a lot of problems with mail. I'll, I'll say the Apple Mail is not great. <laughs> it's just that the chances of getting out, this is the problem with an ecosystem, what we talked about at the beginning. Like, I have a problem right now with mail. Like, and it's almost all my problems with Apple Mail deals. And this is why you probably, some people want to use Exchange or Outlook. All of the problems I have in Apple Mail are related to Exchange servers. So the Exchange, I think this is one of the reasons that I, I you know, after making fun of Outlook and saying, why would you need that? I, I was thinking about it while we were talking. And I was like, oh, this might fix all my Exchange problems. <laughs> um, and the reason is, is that, for instance, if you're in dark mode and someone sends you an exchange, exchange will explicitly control the colors, which means that if you're in exchange and you're sending emails to a Mac user that has dark mode, they can't read your emails. <laughs> like they can't like literally it just shows up as black, you know, and it's only exchange that does this. And so, and if they, if they, and it'll be like this dark, it'll be like dark letter. Cause it'll, if you start coloring your text, it'll it, exchange will explicitly control that. Um, and so that is black and, or if they, or sometimes people will do things where they color them like dark blue, like Alex do this or do this or whatever. And I have someone I work with that does that. And that part just looks like a blank space to me, um, in dark mode. And so, and so I, and I think that it kind of horrifies people when you re, when people in exchange realize that every Mac user in dark mode can't really read their emails. Um, it, it definitely affects how they start thinking about that. Um, also the way exchange handles like threading, for a Mac user, it's just a disaster, you know. And so, so I, you know, I could see a reason to use Out Outlook, only because uh, I would, my experience as a Mac user in Mail, I would never use an Exchange server by choice because it just creates so much trauma, trauma, not drama, but trauma for me. Uh, every Exchange server, and then we have a handful of partners that have them, and I can always tell you who they are because their emails look all messed up in Mail. Um, go ahead, Chris, and everything else looks fine, like Google. Uh, you know, all the other mail services look fine on Apple Mail. It's just Exchange that screws it up. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I don't specifically know what the answer is, but in, we've been using email now for, what, 35 years, something like that. 
a long time. I can remember having a roommate uh, who was in a big EDU before I ever wanted to own a computer. And he just thought this email thing was so cool. And I think that ultimately uh, it is a technology that is broken in many ways. I think we all work really hard to try and make it work, you know, filters and whatnot. And and I'll be the first to admit, I have uh, uh, 70,000 unread emails on my, in my oh, ecosystem. You're just getting started. You're just getting well, started. It, I'm not alone. There, there's many, many people. How many unread do you have, Alex? No, I'll unread. I'll take a look. Okay. Uh, by the way, on your phone, if you if you click on the uh, the mail icon and hold it down, it'll pop I'm up at, and tell you on I'm across at, all your accounts. Yeah, I'm I'm at one hundred and thirty thousand, something like that. Yeah, good. So, but but you're making my point for me. It's a broken system, and I think that, I mean, I have fantasy ways of solving it. Uh, I think I think reply all should be illegal, and I also think that when you go to email somebody. You would, in my perfect world, you would literally have to type their entire name. Can't, if, if, if somebody whippersnappers replying all. If somebody makes an email client that automatically checks an address book, it should be a federal offense and it should be life in prison. You should have to. So they should if have to you put my email in with pencil, bear with me. Think about this. If you couldn't do reply all, and you and somebody had to actually type your name in, like keystroke it in. Mm-hmm. Not even a field that you could paste an email in. It would alleviate ninety five percent of the crap email, uh, bad emails that you get. Okay, Jason, real quick. No, I'm right. <laughs> as much as I want to keep going on that, um, just to clarify, um, Alex was using Exchange and Outlook kind of interchangeably. Exchange is the protocol. Outlook is the app, and yeah, yeah. Um, they both suck. <laughs> Next question. Our next question comes from Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California. Does Steadicam still have an advantage over gimbals in higher-end productions? Javier. Like we were discussing earlier, uh, each of these uh, techniques and tools have different feelings, uh, different uh, aesthetics and different, you, you would use it in different uh, things. So of course, it, like even like um, like uh, hybrid systems like the Trinity or having like a crane with a running um, head at the top, it will have very different looks. So if you're in a low budget solution or production, of course, you're gonna have to use whatever is available to you. So probably you tend to use gimbals and easier to use stuff. But I think the best advantage of bigger productions or like uh, bigger, uh, having bigger crews, you can have like a specialized like steady cam operator. And I was like what I was saying earlier, that's what really makes a difference. Like a Trinity operator or a steady cam operator or an Osmo operator, it's going to give you different looks. So um, I think it's very important now that we have like all of these different tools. We even saw like making a, a music video. The Super Bowl was basically a music video using uh, cable cam. So you have a lot of options right now. So you have to decide where to put, uh, what kind of shots do you want to have? Uh, and sometimes you'll use a Steadicam, but sometimes you can, you want to have maybe a, like a big budget movie, but you have to have this feeling like of the shoulder camera. Uh, and that's, you, you will never get that with a stable, uh, like a um, Easter rig or a, a Steadicam. You have to use a shoulder rig or a different uh, uh, tool for that. You go, Jason. When it comes to Hollywood, nobody in the big leagues uses anything but Steadicam. I go ahead, Courtney. 
Well, it depends. They have different applications. The Steadicam, you use this, and I remember the Steadicam is completely different from a gimbal. A gimbal uses motors and gyros to uh, detect its orientation and adjust uh, its attitude. Steadicam just uses springs and weights. There's no, uh, no motors, there's no gyros in there, and it's the operator that's controlling where that camera is pointing, and it's just floating in free space because its weight has been reduced by all the springs and double arms and the uh, counterweighted post that everything is sitting on below the camera. Steadicam works a lot better with heavier cameras, like big production cameras, like Aries that are fully loaded with batteries and transmitters and everything you have on them these days. The gimbals are used, so if you need to have a, a platform that you're moving around throughout a scene where people are walking, Steadicam is really the only way to go because the gimbals you have to either hold up yourself, which is going to get tiresome, or it's got to be attached to a, a dolly or a crane arm or a luma arm or a, uh, you know, a type of arm that you're going to have to wingle into, wangle into the set. And you can't go through doorways and you can't do a lot of the stuff that Steadicam can do. So uh, it's still primarily used for those shots where you're doing a long walk and talk or you're driving through doors or up and down staircases or around corners things like that. It's the only thing that's going to get the job done because it's completely wireless and the operator and the camera, uh, the operator's with the camera at all times controlling it. You don't need any remote cables or anything to control it. So I think it's still still used, although it's patents. There's other brands of type of Steadicam. Their patents ran out several years ago, so there's other brands other than Steadicam, but the same concept and the same design. Yeah, the um, uh, I think it really comes down. My brother is a Steadicam operator. <laughs> That's his job. So he's on a five month film right now. So in Hollywood, and um, but he, uh, uh, I think it really comes. We talk about it a fair bit because I have a bunch of gimbals and he has a Steadicam. And and when do I hire him? It's whenever I have the money to hire him because the, what it comes down to is precision. Um, when you have a Steadicam operator who knows what they're doing, they're going to be able to create a shot. And it, it's not just a smooth shot. When we do gimbals, we're just largely happy that it's smooth and we get the framing largely right with a steady cam operator it's almost to the pixel i want this to be here i want this person to be framed over here i'm going to follow them they may do something unpredictable and i'm still going to do the right thing you know like i'm not i don't you know they're going to rehearse it a little bit but as a steady camper i'm going to dance with that and i'm going to have that work and i'm going to be able to do it in a very high precision and sometimes i'm coming up and down and over and things that are really hard to do with a gimbal at the same level of accuracy and then when you add a gimbal to a steady cam which is a trinity rig my brother owns a tr tr my brother owns a trinity rig um it it now you have the level of precision of coming under to over to, you know, you can do things where you're starting low, going high, moving around and the, and the camera is going to just keep doing what it needs to do. Um, it's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible system. And you're going to, that's why in, when you're shooting film, they're not cost sensitive to those things. That, that's a rental. That's an ongoing cost on a big film. Like on a, on a regular feature film, the cost of the steady cam is not the big cost. The cost of the actors and the cost of the number of people on set and the cost of, you know, all the other things, all the logistics are the big cost. The cost of the steady cam is not a big deal. When we're doing little shows, cost of the steady cam's a lot. <laughs> so, so we, so it just depends on what we're, what we need to do. Um, last question for the first hour. Douglas Carmichael has this follow-up. Alex, you mentioned that 70% of U.S. students have iPhones. Do you think Apple will open up iOS to competing email clients or browser engines, especially with the EU Digital Markets Act and similar laws coming into force? Go, Jason. No. <laughs> Not by choice. Uh, you, know, you know, they may be able to do it. The problem is, is that if Apple doesn't 
uh, embrace it. It won't matter. They can open it up, but if they don't really like, oh, we're still not going to develop for it. Like we might open it up, but we won't develop for it. It'll still have the same problem. <laughs> like, you know, so it's not, you know, you, you know, I, I think that the chances, uh, uh, the chances of, of it really making any impact are pretty low. Um, so there you go. All right. Now we're jumping into our second hour and uh, we're going to be discussing lower thirds. We'll show a couple and then we'll jump into questions. We've got a lot of questions. That's the advantage of everyone asking questions ahead of time. Is we, have, we can jump into those, but we'll look at some examples uh, here um, to, um, to kind of take a look at what we, what's, uh, what's there. So one of the things we want to talk about a little bit or what, what I was hoping to cover, kind of cover here is that you know lower thirds are something that a lot of us use and it's always good to keep looking at them looking at them regularly uh, because they keep on changing and we can learn something new uh, especially coming back we'll come back to lower thirds and other graphics probably once every year or two um, to to kind of look at them and not only will the lower thirds themselves change but what we've done with them over the last year year and a half and what we've thought about while we're doing them has changed so we'll think about them differently um you know as we as we work through them and so we'll i'll go through a couple of them um for the panel kind of just put your hand up if you want to note something specific um related to that but we'll go ahead and just um take a look at a couple of them i just went through <clears throat> yesterday and just kind of grabbed a bunch of clips and so we'll we'll kind of um you know we'll scan through these here let me uh, get my Mouse over here. Cut to this. All right. So here's um here's this is more of a local local news here, and you'll see. Let's play. I jumped too quickly. Let's go ahead and hit play here. And here you have pretty basic. So I that's the next one. I'm doing all these things at one time is a little bit. All right. So so as we look at this here, you'll see that this is just a this is just a still coming out. Um, you've, they, they've decided that this is more of a design element, um, just to hold, hold the space there. I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> like every time I was, I, when I was looking at this last night, I was like, really? Um, you know, there's a couple things here that, you know, if we go back to it and, and you can, again, we'll, we'll back up. This is just a straight fade in and you can see that it's just over, you know, half a second or so, and it's going to pop up. Um, and the, there's things that are challenging, um, here that, that, you know, little things I will say that that drive me a little crazy. A lot of these are built into a system. So, you know, they don't have quite as much control as we would in After Effects or in, in Motion or something like that. But there are things that bother me all, all the time. The space up here and the space down here aren't the same. That makes me crazy. <laughs> People's lower thirds. But if you ever do lower thirds with me, I always want that, this space and this space to be the same. Um, but this is a pretty popular, I mean, using all caps makes it generally a little easier. A lot of times you'll see at least the, the back, the, the second name be all caps um, is a pretty common thing to see there um, and I don't know if we need it when we're doing the kind of work that we do but um, but that is something that's there um, the a lot of times there's a decision about whether this is going to line up I think in this case they chose to or whether it comes down a little bit to create a shelf for it um, so those are other things to kind of keep when you when you look at these things to kind of keep an eye on um, but but that's the and then you'll see it just just fade back out again um, the, the one thing to note about, and you'll see a couple of these that are stills, um, you know, when these fade in and fade out, when you start to animate your lower thirds, uh, you increase the complexity of your system dramatically. Like just, just know that like, does it make a difference? Cause people get into, oh, I want lower, I mean, animated lower thirds. That's going to slow down your production. It's going to make, or if, you're, if it doesn't slow down your production, you're going to buy a lot more expensive equipment. You've moved from, oh, I can do this in Photoshop or a keynote to I'm going to do something really, uh, you know, I'm going to have expensive equipment like this. What you're seeing here, 
this can be done with Keynote. <laughs> like literally, you could do it in Keynote and it would look exactly the same. Um, whereas if you start to do, uh, you know, you can, and you can also load those into your, your switcher and just go there. Now, this one is going to be a little bit more complicated. So now what you have here is you'll see kind of this animated output here, which looks very nice. Um, now, this is all being generated most likely from a Chiron or an expression system, potentially a VizRT, but probably Chiron or expression. And um, and this is, uh, so what's happening here, the thing to know about with this lower third from a, from a, from this perspective is that it, it um, all that information is being generated automatically. So it's grabbing that data and throwing that data in, you know, based on, on those processes. And so there's a lot of rules based in this lower third. But if we look at just the design, you'll see it kind of, you know, the thing that uh, with a lot of lower thirds is that it's really good to go through it frame by frame because you're you're basically um, uh, you can watch what they're doing in most lower thirds, not the NFL. <laughs> the NFL gets much more complicated, uh, but in most lower thirds, what you're going to notice is that there's not a lot of complex elements. Like these elements, nothing about this is something that you can't do. And I highly recommend if you're getting into this is to build your, you know, take a lower third like this and try to reproduce it pixel for pixel um, and just see what it takes for you to put that together in whatever, you know, app that you're, that you're actually using there because it's a really useful thing. Now you'll see that they're, they're using a stacked, you know, stacked thirds, which is, you know, so you've got the bottom has got other information that's going on that's there all the time. Um, and that does increase average view time to have the extra information there. So that's why they put it there. Um, but the, um, and it kind of keeps you, keeps you held there because we're giving you a bunch of other information you might go somewhere else to look for. Um, instead, you stay here and watch the ads. And so, um, so anyway, so the, uh, so there you have the, the, the pieces there. Um, here, this is also where, you know, this is already built in. And most likely, this is a, this is where you get into why, when people say, why do you need an, another ME? Most likely this was sitting on another ME that were, so this, this transition was within another ME. And then the, the part at the bottom is a, is a downstream key so that it's not, so it doesn't get affected by, by the switch between the two. Um, so that's good. That's typically, it doesn't always have to be that way, but it typically is jumping from, from one to the next there. Um, and again, if, if you have any, if now here's a simpler one. It's really fast. This is also something that we see happening often is, uh, is just this is the, sim the, the simplest version of this. Um, and so one of the things you'll notice here is the, the, the shadowing here. So there is a little bit of a drop shadow there. In the old days, it used to be a hard edge. If you look at old stuff, you're going to see these black hard edges against the, that text. But when you throw that text up, you got to give it that little bit of shadow. Oh, you don't have to, and some people don't. But you generally are going to put a little shadow underneath it, and that's going to help separate uh, the the lighter uh, uh, text from the background. Um, so those those are um, you know those are that's another thing to kind of think about. There is is what kind of shadow. A lot of times I do a really small shadow and just shift it down, so it's almost like an outline, but it's slightly softer than just having an outline. This one's a pretty pretty large shadow. You know, as you as you look at that there. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and. Now here's some more of the kind of the, some basic animations, kind of a, a shelving up of it here, and then then it's just simply cutting to another one here. Now one now the thing is is that you have a couple things as you look at this. You have um, you know there's 
you've got to pay attention to how, if you're, especially if you're doing something automatically, how many characters can you actually put into that? A lot of this is being driven by either a spreadsheet or a, or a control system. Avid has a really big one that you kind of put all the things you want to go into it and just keep on pushing them out one at a time. Um, you have this, this, this piece here that's kind of telling you what you're looking at. So think about what the modes are. What are the different things that you have to tell the viewer um, to make that work? And, and for the, any of the panelists, as we go through this, you can just call things out if you see them. It's hard for me to see everything here. This is the, uh, <laughs> these look like cartoons. Like I, you know, it's, this is, uh, I was kind of surprised that this one, it just, it just felt very, like we didn't think about this very much. No, but it's nice. It's lower. It's got kind of a nice lower third there. It comes in really fast. So like if you, if you watch how fast this is here at real time, it just kind of just barely gives you enough time to actually read it. Um, and then here it, so when I looked at this lower third, um, what I was left with, number one, is you can see that it most likely is being keyed. You see this, this, this fringe. So it's probably, this is probably not, I mean, I don't know why they would do that, but, uh, it feels like it's being keyed there, um, to make that, to make that happen. But I also think that they're designing this to be read on a phone. So when I looked at this, I think, I think that this is a lower third, this is a kind of lower third that's designed for people to watch it on their phone. And so that's when you start thinking about these large lower thirds is if you're a viewer. And, and a lot of times when I build lower thirds, I, I will say that for the kind of work I do, I look at, I open it on a phone and make sure I can see it. And I oftentimes will set it to 360 by, 640 by 360 and put it on a phone. And can I read all the text? And if I can't, I usually make it a little bigger. This is taking it all the way to, I want to make absolutely sure that you can do that. This is the opposite of that. <laughs> so this is, this is, um, uh, this is CNN. CNN, I think, has the most garish lower thirds, maybe not ever made, but um, I find them to be completely ugly. Um, you know, and, and they're, they are, I, and they're in all their shows and they, they've designed them all. And I think if we go a little bit faster here, we'll see them change it. So this just is very upsetting to me. <laughs> so, like they just, it's, it's so it, it is, I, I, you know, I know that people have already realized that I can be very, you know, touchy about certain things. And I literally don't watch CNN because of this right there. <laughs> like I don't care about the content, but every time it does it, I, my brain goes crazy. Like you just stretch the text, you know, like you just stretch the text and, and I can't, I can't watch CNN because, because of this one little conversion there, because this is, this is probably still probably squeezed up here, but they definitely just stretched it down. And, and I, it just makes me very upset. And so anyway, but overall it's pretty ugly. Um, it's very, very, you know, this is definitely not one you'd want to have on your, uh, HDR TV. <laughs> it's very, very black and white uh, in those areas. But um, yeah, so, but they use it and they use it everywhere. They use it over their entire, um, their entire thing. So anyway, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Lots of, lots of different things they're using it for and all of it looks bad. Um, the, uh, let's see this one, this one's really basic. So, and this is, and again, a lot of times this is the PBS NewsHour, while they spend a lot of time and energy, never want to look like they're spending a lot of time and energy on it. They always want to look like, well, you're, it's a public, it's public service and uh, we're not going to do anything over the top. But I think that it's, it's, it's a nice design. You know, I think that it, you know, for what they're doing, um, I think that it, it looks, uh, looks pretty good, but you can see how they've kind of taken a less is more kind of uh, more uh, white space. And you'll see that in there. Let's see if they, I don't know if I, I think this is all a, a package. So I don't think I can see their, their, their set, but their sets that, that way too. It stays, it's good, but basic, um, you know, as far as that goes. 
By the way, I, I, I looked at the rest of this thing. The lighting on this event was pretty good. <laughs> like overall, there's some wide shots. I don't know if I have them in this capture, but I was looking at it just going, wow, that's really good. Um, here's Fox. Fox likes, um, Fox likes dimensionality. So you'll see a lot of things in, in Fox stuff that has like little, um, they, a lot of their stuff has gradients, you know, in it. So these are, this is kind of the, the old, and we don't think, we don't see it much anymore, but this is kind of the, the kind of the bubble thing that the kind of the jelly bubble that, that Apple used to do. Um, and, and I haven't seen, I think the only place I see it really is Fox at this point, but, but it, it does look nice. I mean, it, it gives it kind of a glassy look and you'll see how they use this here um, as they, as they go through this, they're going to, they're going to tell you what the show is and then they're going to swing it over and tell you what you're looking at. I actually, I, I will say that I think that they're, the way that they use uh, a lot of their graphics works pretty well. Uh, again, the, the, the bubbly thing is a little old, but it's, but it's, um, but it's still, you know, pleasing to the eye. Um, and, uh, and they, but I like, I like this kind of use of it. If you're going to do an animated, something automatic going from, um, the bottom there and then squeezing that up and telling you what it is, just that little movement will bring your eye back down to see what, what you're looking at there. Um, <laughs> MSNBC, um, is, is how, how can we throw all the things, uh, at, at you at one time? And so it's just, uh, it's, it's just loud. <laughs> and so, you know, all of this stuff, by the way, is all, uh, that's all automated. So just grabbing data, it has what it has. No, and someone just puts it up. Same thing down here. Um, that's, that's there. Now, one thing that is always a decision here is, you know, when you see it going across, um, it, it works pretty well at the, at this frame rate where it doesn't, sometimes you have a problem with those tickers of not, uh, of having those tickers really be, um, you know, look, you can see the the judder um, that's in them, but this this one looks pretty good as far as that goes. I feel like this this old bevel is like the you know the '90s called once their lower third back. You know, they're they, you know like putting bevels on it is not like bevels, especially with like hard edges on the on the corners here. I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, you know, I, I don't. That's to me, that's not a that this is not a modern. It, it looks shiny, but it's definitely not a modern design for for this kind of thing. I do. Here's the thing. I don't like the bevels. I, I will admit that I kind of like it when they have little highlights go across there. See that little highlight there? And a lot of times that highlight, we've done these. And a lot of times it's literally like a black and white little, like you make a line and then you uh, blur it a couple times and overlay it screen over top of it. And it's literally like a little black and white box that's just screened over top of the graphic and then it moves across. Now, the weird one about this is that it obviously is inside of this key. So there's a glow here, but it's not glowing up into the graphic there because it's inside of the the lower third key, I think. Also, there's transparency in, in that, uh, about 10% looks like, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit, just ever so slightly to give you, make it feel like it's part of it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this one was okay. Uh, uh, let's see here, let's go here. You know, this is pretty hard to read. I, I know that it's kind of designed that way, I think. And then she has a yellow, I don't think I have it here, but she has a yellow desk like this. And every time she puts it over, this whole this whole thing just disappears. Um, but uh, but this is more designed as a more of a fun, you know, we're having a, you know, we're having a fun discussion about things. Uh, I'm never a fan of um, serif. Serif is, if, for those of you who don't do fonts, is the little footer here, um, the, ser the serif fonts here like that. And, um, to me, I don't think you should ever use serif fonts in a broadcast. Yellow, yellow is a bad choice of background color. Yeah, Unfortunately, that's her show is the yeah. 
color is yellow for the whole show. Yeah, you're like, what? This one I think is 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 nice in the sense that it let's see here's so here you see the so this is kind of an interesting one as you as you go through it here. Uh this opens up. And so there's a couple again, when you if you go to to try to um, you know, figure figure this stuff out, they've got a little graphic there that's kind of just animated over top of what looks like just kind of um looks like a topical map. And then they have the graphic kind of sliding against it. And then they move, first they move something to, you know, they move an alpha channel out to expose that. And then they bring the graphics over top of those things. And you can see that one of them sharp, that last one has just got a little bit of a blur on the end, you know, as it, as it comes through there and then it closes up. And again, I just can't say if you, if you want to get into this stuff, the best thing to do is just sit down and figure out and, and also look at their, oh, it's kind of nice. Look at their, look at the. So look at how when they when this thing reveals it, look at how the Gulf Central just kind of pops up and sits. You know, so it's not it doesn't just reveal it; it goes and then it pops up, and you'll see it popped up. It's really interesting what they did there. It pops up, and the first name is coming up with the Gulf Central. The other ones, the name, the other names are just kind of dropping and landing as it comes through. So these are a lot of little subtle things, and they make it all feel. Let's, let's watch it. It just gives you, it just gives it a little bit more action to it. And so all those little things matter. And so uh, you want to kind of look at, and that's why I, I really like looking at these things frame by frame um, to figure that out. And that's how they close it out. This one is, uh, this one, when the first time I saw it, I felt like it was a mistake because it comes in so fast. Watch, watch what happens when we play it at real time. Like they 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 do they want to do this thing where they hit you with meet the press, and so they they so watch this. It's more of a stinger than a lower so, third. Yeah, but so it starts to animate out, and then they jump really quickly into showing that meet the press. And to me, it feels like it's frame. It's losing. It's coming out so fast that I feel like it's losing frames as it comes out. It's not. It's what they designed to do. I don't know if that design is a good idea, but you can see how it. And you can see how all the other pieces, but Meet the Press is always like they obsessed with having Meet the Press everywhere. They've actually gotten better at it. They used to have like every person that talked to them, they had a step and repeat behind them that said Meet the Press like a hundred times. Um, and uh, felt like it was like a Napoleon <laughs> Napoleon complex around uh, this week. Anyway, uh, but you can see a lot of little elements that are going on there that have like the little lines across the top and bottom. I do think that once it finishes, I don't like the way it comes out, but once it finishes, I think it looks nice. And it, it, this is a nice, clean look. You've got like little edges, a little bit of a, the the, the little bit of, it shouldn't be missed. Always pay attention to things in, in both, you know, sh sh design as well as lower thirds of vignetting. So you see the little vignetting here and a little vignetting here and a little bit of drop off. That adds a lot. You know, and so little vignetting, a little bit of a variety across the shading um, does add a lot to it. And you want to kind of keep always pay attention to that, that it's happening because you'll do something where it's just a, a straight line and you won't understand why yours doesn't look the way that the one what? is that you were looking at there. Why does that top line stop midway and then pick up again right before Because the, the designer right thought that that would look cool. But the bottom line doesn't. It looks like they are avoiding you. his jacket or something. I, I don't know. No, I bet you that there was just a lot of there was a lot of meetings about it, um, and they decided that the lines are going to. I'm sure it means something to somebody. <laughs> I agree with you though. 
Uh, and maybe they just felt like it was too, two of those lines was too much. Yeah. Here it is again. I don't think there was anything new there. Uh, let's see. This one's really, this one's interesting. I, uh, let's see here. This is kind of like this, I had too much to drink last night look. All right. So when you, um, so here, it's kind of interesting. They they bring it up, but it's kind of like this, they're, they're kind of building it with layers. It's one, you know, layers that are just kind of soft and then they get harder and then they, they come together and show it to you. And the moment that you can actually read it, they disappear again <laughs> they, and they fade it out. One thing you will notice a lot of times with lower thirds is that they fade out instead of animate out because it's easy to know that you're going to come into the thing, but you want to know that you can just get out of it. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, you know, it's like, okay, you know, you know, so a lot of times you'll see lower thirds roll in with some kind of pop and circumstance, but the TD will immediately just fade them out as they get, as they get through that process. Uh, let's see. This one's just, oof. So loud. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it, it's, it's nice though. There's something about it when they get it, when they get the, I don't know what it is, but they, it does feel solid, you know, in a way that, and I don't, I, I sometimes I, you know, I think it's the, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is about that, but it does feel solid in that, in that sense. This one's a little bit more artsy. This is the, uh, you see this in a lot of stuff that isn't, isn't live. Um, <laughs> you know, so this is stuff when people do it, when people, uh, do something that is, uh, that they're going to do in post, you know, sometimes the, the, it, 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 these are the kind of lower thirds you get when the person is not a, uh, a live person. They're not thinking about like what, what they have to do live and how it, you can do it live. But a lot of people, a lot of times you see one of these, these more designed ones, um, are typically done by a, by a designer that is not working on a live show. Uh, it just, it just, it, they tend not to look this way because anything without a backing behind it, without a strap, uh, tends to be a lot harder to comp into it. And so you saw the same thing with 2020 is that they'll do these, but they usually do them when they're not. The straps are really useful because it means that you can strap them over anything and they are general purpose. And things without the straps um, oftentimes are, you know, you you accidentally get yourself into a position that doesn't work. So anyway, that's um, so that's, that's stuff we're going to look at for now. Might have a couple more, but we'll, uh, we'll jump into some questions here. And any, if, if the panelists have anything you want to say beforehand, no? Okay, let's go to the let's go to the first question. All right, our first question comes from Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. Animated or static lower thirds, which do you prefer and why? Go ahead, Courtney. I like static. I don't like the animation to last any longer than a half a second. If it's longer than a half a second, it's too long because you're you're getting into it and you may get out of it. You may have to get out of it, especially if it's a lower person, you know, a title for a lower person you're cutting to. And if it's a live show, you don't know. You know how long that person is going to speak. You don't know when when somebody else is going to interrupt them. You have to go to them. So uh, if they are animated, I like less animation the better. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Twenty frames or I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. a, a, a half second maybe. Um, I think the thing about um, something that animates is it wants to say, "Hey, I'm here." <clears throat> but it doesn't want to um, be the life of the party. Um, and, and it has to do what it's supposed to do, which is just tell me what this person's name is. And more importantly, why I should even bother listening to you, right? And so 
that's really more of, of what a lower thirds um, uh, a job is. But it, it doesn't matter if it dissolves in. I think a lot of times we overthink some of these things to the point where, um, you know, it's a, it's a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist. Um, but I, in terms of like the length, my bigger thing is, is on the exit. Like, I, I don't like it when somebody says the lower third should be five seconds. Hmm. Okay. But do you, do you see how he finishes a phrase right here at five seconds and 20 frames? Why not just dissolve it out right there? And you could do that live if you listen, if you actually listen. Uh, when I used to switch live shows, we'd, you know, some guy, some some people might get a key for eight seconds because he was right in the middle of saying something and then and lose it. It just it feels right when you when you do it on a phrase. Yeah, and I think that um, to your point, that's why a lot of lower thirds fade out rather than animate out. Um, you know, is because you can just decide how long you want it to hang. You don't have to figure out what that function looks like. I'm, I think that, you know, I think for our show, I actually like our lower thirds, just basic, open. You know, they, there's a little bit of animation to them. They're not, I mean, uh, the graphics that we use inside of ours is a little bit of animation that adds a little bit of pizzazz, but they're not complicated or, you know, those kinds of things. So I think that that's a real basic one. I wouldn't want to do much more than that, you know, as far as the, the lower thirds for, especially for a talk show. Next question. Our next question comes from David Brady in New York City, New York. Can SPX GC pull Zoom usernames for dynamically providing names to its lower third engine without the need for Isadora? Or is the magic glue OH is or is that the magic glue that Office Hours is using? No, SPX can reference all kinds of things in the in the uh, external. So it, it doesn't need we do it the way we do it because we're tying it all into a question engine and people have numbers and things are all all over the place. But but in general, the um, uh, you can definitely SPX can just be looking at an external data source. It just happens to be what we're doing on this on this process. But you can do it in a lot of different ways with SPX. Absolutely. Next question. Andy Korkendorfer from VR Florida is back. Which character generator platform is the easiest to use with a distributed remote crew? I mean, I think that they're all a, a screen share away from being usable remotely. <laughs> you know, so not, you know, I think that they're all there. And a lot of them are stuff that is being driven by data. So a lot of times when you see those, those are not like somebody typing something in and running it. There's a data system that's being, that's running. And a lot of times it's a big avid, you know, thing that's delivering that data to it. Or there's other systems that deliver it to it. And so, and, you know, SPX has worked really good for, uh, really well for us. The... So I, I think that they're all, they all do a lot of this fairly effectively at this point. Um, you know, I think that doing it completely remotely is a little bit more complicated, but I think that um, the ones that we're using, we, one thing we're also looking at is Singular, which is more of a web-based one that, uh, that does a lot of graphics that is really more web-based um, in that area. But we're, we're, so far we've been, and that's for some other stuff that we're doing because it brings in data really easily. We talked about SPX being able to take data in. Singular is kind of built, has all the, the handlers built into it um, to do that. And so for 090, we've been using some of the stuff. I, I'm super happy with SPX at this point. It took me a long time to get the initials right, and I gave Tuomo a hard time about it. But now that I've got that all sorted, uh, I, you know, we've, we've been super happy with it. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Graham Cardwell in Belfast, Northern Ireland. How do you decide if your lower thirds should be on the left or the right, or even the top of the screen? What do you need to consider beyond those so-called safe areas? Go ahead, Chris. First of all, Graham, if it's on the top, it's an upper third. Okay, let's get that straight. Um, 
In terms of left and right, it's mostly aesthetics. If you have the choice and you want to put it in the negative space, if somebody is looking screen left or right, you know, you might want to put it in the negative space. But I think the most important thing, it's a decision uh, when you're designing a show, is do you want to design a system that you pour the data in? Or do you want to... Um, redesign everything individually because, oh, this person is here and, and you know, I, I could float. Let's put this lower third up here. It's like, no, just make a system. And I'll tell you, in terms of like legibility, and like I said earlier, the real purpose is, do I want to listen to this person? If you float the lower thirds around all over or the upper thirds um, and you make, you make reading a lower third a game of Where's Waldo, then... Um, that takes away from the uh, um, the ability to actually absorb that data. If it's consistent, if it's always... Now, I will say uh, justified left or right, if you're using standard English or uh, most... I, I think the proper way would be to say you know, most Western cultures where we read left to right, I would justify left. Because if I justify right and I have a short name, Bob Smith, or a long name, Andy Korkendorfer, then the beginning of the word starts in a different spot, right? Because the one will be way over here, and the one... So if everything is over here, right? Let me get my hand right there. Boom. The first letter of every word always starts in the exact same place on the screen. That makes it easier for your mind to find it and absorb it. I'm not saying... Uh, you won't figure it out if it's on the other side, but it's those little uh, slivers of seconds. And also, uh, regarding the capital versus non-capital and Alex's uh, uh, opinion about the, the space I don't being do it, equal. I, oh, the space being equal bothers me. No, no, but. no, no. So, so you, uh, upper and lower is easier to read. The mind sees shapes in addition to letters. But... You're going to have all kinds of alignment problems. I think that's why a lot of lower thirds get done uh, in all caps because you don't. Ha when you're all caps, you don't have descenders, and descenders could run into the line below. If you have a descender on the title below the name, now do you make Alex happy and make the space above the words and below the words? Do I align it to the lowest descender or do I align it to the bottom of the base? Well, I mean. The it's chaos. Thing is, is the, it's madness. The name, the name I use upper and lowercase usually, but the bottom, the 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 name, the for that reason, most of the time, a title I will always put in caps so I don't have any descenders. Right. <laughs> so I just. But put, again, they're smaller, and I just go. All caps does not is not as legible as upper lower. But so it it, it's it, it's it's a it's a difficult business. It looks nicer. Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, generally, I think you avoid the lower right because that's where the network bug or the station identifier bug or downstream key is always going to land in that lower right corner. So you kind of want to avoid the lower right or leave a little space for that for something that may be uh, downstream keyed after your lower third gets keyed in. And you see that in almost all networks use lower right for identification. One thing that comes into, into account when you start working with, I have I have my show, but that show fits into another show, and that show fits into a graphic system, and that fit show has to go out to, to, to affiliates, and that show has, and then that might go out to Facebook, 
and that might go out to, so what happens is, is that you, you have to think about the entire system as you go down that path and you'll see where it doesn't work. Sometimes someone's showing somebody else's graphic or something else and their lower third is clashing with a lower third, but not calculating that. So you may say, well, as Courtney was saying, the bug is going to sit here. So the lower thirds can't go here, but we've got a ticker down here. So the lower thirds can't go there. Um, and we might have, when we do our, our super source, it, it's all going to take up the space. And you, and you start building all of those rules and you have to look at them all together to know where that lower third has to sit and what the limitations of that lower third are so that it always fits in. And not only fits in, but the, when, you, when you know that someone spent a lot of time on it, it's when all the little lines line up. So this line here and this line here, doesn't, they're not off by a little bit. When you see them off by a little bit, you're like, oh, they didn't. Someone didn't talk to somebody. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, and anyway, and, and so when they all line up and everything's perfect and you know that because what's happening is, is that lower third is being added by the show, but this down here might be added by the network. This might be added by an affiliate. Um, there might be another one over here. So those are all things that you have to kind of consider as you're starting to build a more, a larger broadcast one is what, how does it fit into the ecosystem that it's designed for? The other thing is, is you start thinking about debris. We, we talk a lot about screen debris and screen debris is, when you're going out to a social network, you don't, you can't worry about both broadcast and screen debris because they, they're never going to get along. But you know, all the little stupid little bubbles that go up to the side, and then and then the, the other stuff that goes across the bottom that that all these social networks add, um, you have to think about what those look like as well. So a lot of times we, when we're doing social, we think about thirds right here. You know, they we we stick them out there because this is generally the safest place to put a lower third or a third third, whatever you want to call it, middle third. Um, but the the safest place to put it is oftentimes over to the side and up a little bit because it gets under it gets above all this debris and over from this side over here and so this is a kind of a safe area. A lot of times we will build in this um, system. Uh, we'll build a blackout, so we we build a template. So we'll we'll watch something on TikTok or we'll watch something on Facebook or whatever, and we'll take video of it and then we build boxes. That are that are over here like these are these are not safe areas and sometimes we have stacks of them you have to do them new all the time because they change them literally it feels like they change them every week and so you 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 you, you can't just have one that you can distribute and everyone's going to use it forever because they'll change it in an update on wednesday and so you you kind of as you get ready to do the graphics as best you can you take the i'm going to send out to youtube and facebook and all these other things and i'm going to start and, and we will say well youtube can't be here and facebook can't be here and this is and this tells us where we can throw you know like this little corner over here is fine for graphics so um but only now and not and if, not if you go out to tiktok so anyway so the so those are the um you know those are things you have to do but but building those safety zones are are useful there yeah, go ahead um Chris. It's like Steve Martin in the jerk. You you win anything on this shelf in this little spot. Um, I was also going to mention Graham the uh, the stuff about safe safe title and safe areas and stuff. Um, I firmly believe that uh, safe title, maybe not safe title, but safe action is absolutely still an issue. Uh, just recently, I was on Steve Martin and um, uh, uh, Mark Spencer's show, and I was trying to show it to my mother. Because, you know, hey, mom, I'm on TV. Watch. Uh, and, you know, all of their titles and stuff were were hanging off her screen. I sent a picture to, to Mark. I said, hey, did, uh, do you know this? And he goes, looks fine on my Apple TV. We're both watching it on an Apple TV. Uh, Mom's got a Samsung. He's got a whatever, LG, Elemental P. Um, it's different. And so you, you do want to think about that. And I, I also really believe that safe action 
there's a certain amount of framing. I don't like stuff right off to the edge. I know Alex doesn't agree with me. But that's okay. Uh, I <laughs> mean, the, 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 like the lower thirds on this show are just a travesty. They're way down. They're, they're going to get lost. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I would I would put a little buffer mm-hmm. around stuff. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I've gotten I've done too many live streams where we're just used to just sticking right at the bottom. It's like I, I want that real estate, it, uh, but it will be lost. It absolutely will be lost in some instances. In some instances, we find that for the YouTube, if you're doing it to YouTube, the the number of people that are not going to see it is pretty low. Uh, next question. Andy Korkendorfer is back. Do you think that RSS feeds in lower thirds are valuable or a distraction? Both. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. I concur. I, I yield my time. <laughs> they are a distraction. They do pull your eye away. And they we find that especially, so you can do RSS feeds. I wouldn't use RSS feeds. What I would do is is what we do. There's a ticker that we have for Makana that we don't, or Comenda that we don't use very often in this show. Or we don't use it at all in this show, but we do, do have it and we do use it. And what you can do is throw comments at at it, and it'll just you know you take comments and just start th- pushing them towards a, a ticker you know manually, and you can throw them in, and it'll just keep looping them around and putting them in there. You can you can fade it in, fade it out. I will say that it increases average view time. <laughs> like when people are because what happens is is that if you take people's comments and you scroll them along, uh, this is the the way to kind of people really like to see their name and see their thing going up. It's one of the reasons chats are popular in YouTube and everything else, especially if you react to them. If you throw them into a into a ticker, people get really excited. And what they do is they start putting things in and they will sit there and watch longer because they're waiting to see if their name shows up. And so so from an average view time perspective, they definitely have a positive impact. Is it a is it a distraction? Probably. It does add excitement. When people are saying like it will drive behavior. So when you have, when you take like, hey, from Oklahoma, or I'm watching from London or whatever, all of those things pick up and people will start doing more of it. You just have to decide if you want more of it. Do you want to fill your entire chat with people saying, I'm watching from XYZ, or I'm really excited about that, but it does make them feel heard and make it and have it feel so that the, the viewer feels heard. I, as far as taking random data across the bottom as an RSS feed, I probably wouldn't. Definitely, whatever you're doing, you you have a senior person monitoring, like making sure that they're looking at what's going into it. It's really easy also for people to put coded messages in just so you know when people, when you're grabbing comments and throwing them in, if it looks like anything that is not really obvious, we don't put them in the ticker. <laughs> like, you know, like if, if it's anything that looks, even if they look excited, if they put anything in there that we don't, that we don't recognize there, it looks strange. No way. <laughs> like, you know, and um, uh, because it's usually someone trying to be funny and, and not not in a good way. Now, go ahead, Keely. Yeah, using live stream comments in a non-moderated fashion and just displaying them as they come in is highly dangerous on YouTube because if anything comes across, even if it's a user avatar, for example, that might have some unsafe content in it, YouTube will take you down even though you weren't responsible for that that making that avatar, you're responsible for anything that gets shown on your channel. So it's a highly, highly discouraged practice. Do not use any kind of automated format to use a screen share overlay or anything like that to bring in all of your live comments. And I mean, obviously the spam and trolls problem is, is a massive issue as well. So just keep that in mind if you're thinking about automated info, don't use the user's contributions. And again, what we do in our system is that we have a person looking at it and they can just hit a button and, and promote the things that are there. So it is a person doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. 
what would it take to convince Alex Lindsay to to do something like a, a comments ticker on this show? I I think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I'm. Does totally it just take it. somebody to to monitor it? I want someone to build it. Predo could do it. <laughs> it just he's got spare time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would just be uh, someone building it. You know, it's not. It's not a. Uh, like I thought I, you said you had it built into Mukana, uh, but yeah, but it's, that's our graphic system. So we would have to. We we could easily export it out. We would have to. So to do what you're asking, we have to work with SP. I have to work with Tomo. We have to set up a handler. We have to send it. Send that data instead of to a ticker. We would send it out to a feed. I mean, there's just people working on things to make that happen. It's not. But it, so it's not like we can just turn it on tomorrow. We can turn it on tomorrow with if we moved to your point. If we moved the lower third or all the graphics up and oh. gave us that lower area, um, Mukana could probably be running. We, we don't have it, in, it built into this instance, but it could probably run it in a week. So, you know, like we could do it. If it, if it was easy, it, w- what is your particular downside on this show for not doing it? It's just, it's just, we just have to decide, you know, we just have to be really careful about what we put there. That's all. It's just, it'll be, you know, it, it's, it, there's, there'll be a whole bunch of opinions about what belongs in a ticker and what doesn't. And it also, the other side of it is overall, what a ticker tends to do is drive a certain, we, we use it for clients. I don't know if I'd a hundred percent want it in this show only for the sense that it drives a behavior that is, it, it drives behavior. People do putting things in rather than discussing things in the chat, they're putting things in to get into the ticker. Um, you know, and so they, it just changes their, their thought process because they want to figure out how to get into that, that thing. And so it changes a, it changes away from a discussion behavior into a display behavior. And it's, it's not necessarily good for the chat. <laughs> you know, it's good when we're doing a one-off for a client and we want to show excitement, we use tickers. When we do something every day, we tend not to use tickers because we want authentic communication between people, not people just throwing things in to go into the thing. You know, now the other thing that you can do is what we could do that's halfway in between is at the very beginning for the first five minutes, like we, we show a watching from Helsinki, watching from da, 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 da. And so we could possibly do that for a very short period of time and not necessarily, and literally what we show is watching from is where we hello from watching from like, that's the rule set. And it happens at the first five minutes of the show. That would be, I think that could be kind of fun doing it throughout the show will create behaviors that aren't conducive to a good conversation. Um, Next question. Our next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. Bo mentioned that a good lower third design has to take into account stupid things producers and operators could do. Couldn't some of these safeguards be embedded into the software itself? Go ahead, Courtney. I doubt it. It depends on what the stupid things you're talking about. And a lot of times uh, in newscasts, they'll have to go to uh, a user-provided video that somebody shot on their phone, you know, or... Uh, and it, it may have action in the lower third of the frame that is the whole story. And if you've got a lower third in there, it's on your newscast with a ticker and everything that's running, you're going to miss it. So the the director and the TD has to be aware of that. And sometimes I've seen even the uh, uh, talent uh, that's, uh, you know, the person, the anchor person say, can we lose the lower third so we can see what's going on down there? Because they have to even instruct the people. And a lot of times in a news show, they don't have a chance to preview any of that video because it's being thrown in there at the last second because it's breaking news. So that's the only thing I can understand as stupid things that happen. I don't know what your interpretation of that. I mean, a lot of times the, the, the kind of layers that we have within a lot of our systems when we're going live is that there is a, oftentimes there's a lot of discussions ahead of time where we're sending them an Excel sheet or, a, or usually a Google Doc of like, 
this is the name and title we're going to use. Please look at it. Please check. And there'll be a whole lot of please check for accuracy and spelling. <laughs> you know, like and, and then we look at it and then we research it and then we figure it out and make sure that we're, we're going to have the right things. Um, from there, again, preview and making sure that your producer is looking at the preview before it goes live is another piece of that. That puzzle is to try to make sure that you're looking at it and it's not coming up automated. But with a lot of live stuff, when there's a lot of moving parts, you can't do that because it's a football game and it's grabbing data and it's putting it down and it has to happen really fast. And so it just depends on it depends on how automated it has to be. And with those ones, you usually want a system and a team that does this all the time. The hard part is doing some of these things when you're building up a team for one event. Next question. Our next question comes from Jesse Mills in the San Francisco Bay Area. For bringing in lower thirds into an ATEM, where using a downstream key, is it possible to pull in a quadrant of a 4K screen rather than a full screen 1080p source that is chroma keyed? How could this be done? Well, you can definitely bring a quadrant in from a 4K um, you know, screen. I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't just grab one of those. Uh, with an ATEM, you'd have to convert out of the 4K to the quadrant. So you'd have to have a... Uh, you, you, it's a little bit more complicated in the sense that uh, you have to, it's coming in at a quad and the ATEM is only going to see it. Now you could, if you're set at, eight, at 1080 and you, and, you, and you have converted it from 12G to, to just, a, just one quadrant, you could just push it in. That would, that would totally work. Uh, I will almost never use, and I used to do it all the time, but I will almost never use green screen uh, or blue screen or anything else as a chroma key for graphics. And the reason for that is that uh, it is 422. And so on any curved edge, any angled edge, you're going to see aliasing going down it because um, it, it has half the resolution of the of the frame. Go ahead, Courtney. I got some uh, keystrokes there. Um, anyway, so the... Um, uh, can't hear you, Courtney. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. I was in half dissolve and trying to deal with that. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say you can use it with the, uh, the DVE... Uh, the DVE section to do a flying key you, so you can adjust the mm -hmm. area of interest and the size, crop, and position of that and fly it in. But you could use that in the ATEM software. Yeah, but if you're not going to do key fill, my recommendation is to use a Luma key. Um, and so, and, and, and the reason for that, again, is that the, uh, and what you can do is you can have your black be pure black. You can bring all your other blacks up to about 15%. No one's going to notice <laughs> you know, if, if your blacks are at fifteen percent, and now you've got a little edge, a little bit to work with, and the, you're going to find that your curved edges and your angled edges look a lot nicer than anything you're going to get out of a chroma key. I mean, the chroma key is going to be half resolution. You're always going to see jagged. I I will see aliasing. So, um, next question. Douglas Carmichael is back. What design considerations would there be for lower thirds using non-Roman alphabet languages? You have to test them. You know, we've definitely done ones in a lot of different languages and, uh, you know, you definitely have to test them and see what, you know, there's some that are really hard to get someone's name into the frame that you have. So, um, but heavy testing is the big, the biggest thing you have to think about. Next question. Our next question comes from Ronnie Hofsey in Tromsø, Norway. What about the cultural impact on lower thirds regarding complexity, glossiness, and animation? Is less more all the time? By the way, we just call it a super in Norway. It's a super in Norway. It's a it's a strap in London. They call them straps um, there. Uh, we call them lower thirds. Yeah. So there's a lot of different names for these. The um, they're uh, they're also called I think. Well, anyway, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of different things that can be popped in there. Um, but uh, yeah, that, you know, I think that all the cultures have you. It, I didn't have time to really, or I didn't grab as many overseas as I should have for this. It was a good point. I've done it in the past where we brought them in from other countries because they definitely have their own look to them. Um, 
most countries, you know, we, we find outside of the biggest channels will, the quality of them, you know, it's just they, they don't have the budget to do a, you know, use a high runner expression or VizRT, so it just looks different. Um, and they oftentimes try harder <laughs> than they should for the hardware that they have. Um, and so, but I think that when in doubt, I will always go simple. You know, if I don't have the hardware and the software to do it, I don't try to do crazy things with, um, you, you know, with um, paper clips. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Larry Tang in Concord, North Carolina. Some shows are lower budget. Has anyone used New Blue Titler or VMix Titler just to have cool and quick titles? They don't have the budget for a graphics person. Is one or the other better? Um, I think New Blue is more. I haven't I haven't used New Blue for a, a while, um, and I think that it's a little bit more specialized and full featured than than the VMix Titler. Um, but I haven't haven't needed it for quite some time. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Hey, Larry, right over that hill from me. Um, the the one word that like jumps out in your question is cool, like cool titles. And I think that back to sort of the design and the purpose of the lower third, I think you have to kind of check yourself when you find yourself saying, let's do something cool. Because at that point, you're you're probably putting too much emphasis on the title and it could very easily pull people away from the content of the show. And I think that it's very interesting. You know, I, I do corporate television and um, I always say I, I do stuff that people have to be paid to watch. Um, it's, not, it's not really exciting, but it does pay the bills and I have a home. So, um, but, but when you deal with the sense of what I would like to call the sensibility of most corporate television, not the highest in, like we have to show off how much money we have, but the sensibility of most corporate television, you find yourself being uh, uh, stylistically pulled back, pulled back, pulled back, pulled back. There's a reason why most computers in the 80s and 90s were beige, because you know we're just going to pull back. We're going to we're not going to get fired here. I'm trying not to get fired. Nobody got fired making a beige computer. Yeah, and I, and I think that in general, when in doubt, you want to keep your elbows, what we call keeping your elbows in. I used to be a wrestler. You stick your arms out like this and you get thrown. <laughs> keep your elbows in. And so a lot of times if you don't have the, the hardware uh, to do something well, then back into something that you know that you can do stably. It really is much a much better solution than uh, the other options. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Dan Wallace in on Ottawa, Ontario. Why don't we see more interactive lower thirds in live broadcast, i.e. live polling, moderated comments, that sort of thing? Right, Courtney. Well, rarely in live broadcasting do they want to hear from the people that are watching while the show's on the air. That's why it's called broadcasting. They'll look at the Nielsen's the next day overnights to see how well they did. But uh, the amount of moderation that is required to uh, maintain your FCC license in a broadcast uh, – has to be very carefully managed, and you don't usually have the time to create and moderate and then put on the air that stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of YouTubers will do it because it's a one-man band, and you know they can just set the chat to appear there on the screen, and it's unmoderated, and you know right. it, it's you know dangerous because you can end up with something that can take down your, as was mentioned earlier, can take down your YouTube stream. So, mm -hmm. broadcast and broadcasters, of course, have to adhere to much more rules of. Uh, of uh, the FCC, so they normally don't do that. You go ahead, Chris, real quick. Yeah, by the way, Keely, that was an interesting comment you made about how just one little, 
you know, comment could take down a whole video. I think the other thing that um, you have to think about, Dan, in terms of um, broadcast is the audiences are, in some cases, enormously bigger. I mean, like way big. And so it might be a huge amount of stuff to, to deal with uh, in terms of just sheer uh, quantity. But also, uh, a lot of stuff is time delayed for different coasts. It's not always live. And then you have a bunch of frustrated people. I tried to I tried to call in or, or you know, right. get involved in it. Oh, I didn't realize I was on a tape delay. And it's a bunch of crazy. It's a lot of management. It, it turns, it opens, it's a big can of worms that you open up when you say you want to do that for a broadcast, which is why I think live streaming has a bunch of advantages. Um, next question. This comes in from Douglas Carmichael. For higher-end graphic systems like the VizRT Expression, how does the operator trigger a specific lower third? Could you use a Stream Deck? There's a lot of ways to do it. They have a lot of control systems to make that happen, um, custom systems. And I do know that a lot of them actually use Stream Decks uh, for those kinds of systems. Um, so they um, definitely are part of that process. Um, and they're all you know tied into a larger system. Next question. Andy Korkendorfer is back. Advice on creating a style book for graphics. Do you have a good example of show style books? Thanks. The problem is, is that I have a lot of show style books. I just can't show any of them. They're somebody else's property. And so we always have a hard time. I think we need to build one for our own so that we can show that process and try to take the best of those things out. But Scott, they're really useful as far as like do this, not this, do this, not this. This can be here. This can't be here. This is the way the logo can be used. This is the way it can't be used. And we'll put in another Tuesday where we do a style book um, thing. We'll try to find ones that we can actually show. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from Jasmine Lee in Singapore. What is the most unexpectedly useful piece of information you've seen on a lower third? Interesting. Unexpected, useful. Um, I think that the things that I find the most useful, though, they create a little bit of a quickness is uh, QR codes. <laughs> we put QR codes into lower thirds all the time. And uh, and we, I think people, when they hit them, it's really, it just gives them somewhere they can just point the thing and go. Um, it just has to be big enough that they can actually, you have to think about how big is their screen and how far away they are from it. Go ahead, Chris. You know, uh, Jasmine, in the early part of my career, much of what I learned about, I learned not on purpose, but people making mistakes. It's it's really interesting when you catch something that's live and there's a mistake, you go, oh, oh that's how they do it. Like uh, Alex was talking about keying something over, I think I think you called it zero black. We used to call it super black. Yeah. Um, in, in NTSC, black was seven and a half uh, IRE. Uh, the equipment didn't even generate anything that was zero black, but if you could create something over it. So anyway... I'm watching a news broadcast once and there was a mistake and it was the cutout for a, a box over the shoulder that wasn't uh, a square or, you know, square corners. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> like there was like this absolute light bulb moment. And I went into the studio the next day and it, it was such an eye opener, mm -hmm. but it, I learned from somebody else's misfortune. Go ahead, uh, Courtney, real quick. I don't know about unexpectedly useful, but in uh, breaking news, you'll see in live uh, television, uh, you know, local newscasts, that the differentiation between live and earlier, because a lot of times they'll, you know, in yeah. a car chase or something, to differentiate between what you're seeing now is actually happening or what you're seeing now has happened earlier. 
One thing I think is interesting about NFL graphics a lot of times, especially the NBC ones and the Thursday Night Football ones, is there's lots of stuff there and they don't tell you what it is. There's little lights, there's little things. And as you watch for a long period of time, they put an enormous amount of information in there that is subtle that you have to take, takes you a little time to figure you have to out. Decipher it. Exactly. But if you watch enough, you you, you figure it all out. Uh, next question. Ronnie Hofsey from Tromsø, Norway is back. Should office hours lower thirds include role and work title in addition to country and city? The amount of uh, logistics that that, that, would, that would be required when people are just able to come in would be way too high. So <laughs> not anytime soon. Uh, so that, that's, that's all I'd say. It's just a logistical problem. Um, next question. Jesse Mills is back. What are the best graphics apps addressable by Companion? VizRT uh, or, or Expression uh, or Chiron. <laughs> Those are, the, I wouldn't say the nicest, ones, the, the best ones. I mean, these are huge machines, but you can also use, I mean, I think we're very happy with SPX in what we're doing here. I just don't want to compare the two of them like they're the same. Um, these are really, really big machines that cost, you know, $80,000. So if you're looking for best, you know, those are there. But things like SPX are totally addressable from that. And a lot of the, a lot of the ones that we use on a day-to-day basis can be used there. Next question. Sandra Snell from Miami, Florida. Has anyone on the panel texted, tested Next Edition graphics ecosystem? Thoughts? I have not uh, texted, uh, tested it, um, so it's something that we'll have to take a look at. And if it's something that people are really interested in, put it in the second hour uh, suggestions, and we'll take a look at it and bring them on. Next question. And Jesse Mills is back. When I do lower thirds and captions, I always run tests to ensure that they do not collide. Many major productions have this placement issue. Are there documented standards for distance or pixels to keep things clear? Go ahead, Chris. Uh, Jesse, a couple of years ago, I was doing a project where the client um, not only had a very specific place they wanted to put the captions, but they wanted to use, you know, this font and these colors and this background. It, it was a nightmare. And there was there was some issues with how they were asking for it that I felt were um, uh, problematic just for legibility and stuff. And it took me down this big, long uh, rat hole. The BBC actually does have published standards um, for, uh, for captioning. And it, it, it goes into like the size of the font, the number of characters per line, the number of lines, and it's, it's just the BBC standards, but, uh, Mm -hmm. it is interesting to look into it because a lot of times what you'll find is people want to cram more and more stuff into something. And then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I can't read that. That's too much to read it all at once. It takes a lot. In a smaller event, when you're not building a whole system, you need to test everything and see where it's going to end up uh, before you put it out there. Next question. Dan Wallace from Ottawa, Ontario is here with this. Any thoughts on cloud-based titling systems, for example, Singular.Live versus Flowix and the like? We've looked at it. We've looked at Singular.Live specifically and ended up using SPX um, for it. It just it just turned out to be a better solution for what we were uh, what we were doing there. But there's a lot of things about Singular that we are interested in because there's a lot of handlers that are pre-built. Um, so that's the thing we're in, that 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 we that we like about that. Next question. From Graham Cardwell in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Thoughts on regular kerning as opposed to monospaced fonts? Real quick, Chris. Graham, kerning and kerning pairs and, and modern fonts are so good. I mean, it, this stuff used to be so horrible back in the, the 80s. We would literally have to manually kern every two letters because coming straight out of the old Chiron that we had, it was almost illegible. So um, I... I trust fonts uh, implicitly, just the way they are. They're great fonts. 
Yeah, always go for uh, regular kerning. Only use the monospace font if you have to do it for an effect, like a typewriter effect or a computer font effect or something. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to fit very much in a lower third with uh, monospace kerning. That's great. A lot of questions. <laughs> so there was a lot of interest there. You know, I, I put that one up. I always put these graphics ones up. I'm not sure if, if it's going to be, you know, like I, I start looking at it at the beginning. I'm like, I don't know if we're going to get through a whole hour, but we did. And great work. And we had to kind of tighten it up and, and move through a lot of questions at the end. So great work by the producers um, to ask all those great questions to keep the conversation going. Thanks to the panelists. Can't do this without you. Um, and a lot of great answers. Great discussion today. I think that we, we covered a lot of ground there. And we'll talk more about construction of them. Um, as we move forward throughout the year. Uh, we've covered 94,000 miles, almost, almost made it to uh, 1K, uh, but we're still stuck in uh, in gold, platinum, I think, platinum, actually. 152,000 kilometers, and uh, that is 856 million bananas for scale. I need to get the bananas that Chris sent me, bananas, and I don't, I don't have them here. Anyway, um, but uh, thanks so much. And uh, thanks to the incredible team on the back end that every day makes this work. And every day uh, gets the stuff done. It's just, uh, it's an amazing thing. And we had a great volunteer meeting um, uh, earlier this week. Uh, so, um, and, or was that yesterday? Is that, did it actually happen yesterday, the volunteer meeting? Or was that over the week? Oh, no, it was on Saturday. <laughs> I, keep, I lose track of days. Uh, but incredible team. So, we've got, a, if you're interested in volunteering, make sure to reach out to Josh. Um, and he'll point you in the right direction. We're going to start doing our, um, uh, we are going to start to do these orientations for and kind of town halls for our volunteers the first Saturday of every month. Um, so April 1 will be the next one. So um, we'll, uh, you'll see an opportunity to sign up in the email if you're interested in, in being part of the panel or being part of the back-end team, being part of events, being part of the team that does the broadcast. There's a lot of things that are going on. So if you're interested, uh, just let us know. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours. Hey, uh, Alex, could... Um... Yeah. Could I make a special request that my you can name... can only make it if you whisper. My name has to That's be a little higher so that my mother can see it on her no. own TV. No. Just my name. Yeah, just your name. Yeah, of just course. We'll do something special. 20 pixels higher. Yeah, you got it, Chris. You got Thank it. You. Thanks. And I have to get my mercury is done. As they would say, is you bet. How many miles do we have to get before we're upgraded to plantains? That's <laughs> <laughs> not there's a whole argument about whether plantains are an upgrade or a downgrade. That's the whole thing that we have to discuss. I see I a went, Fenwick tidler coming. Yeah, Fenwick tidler. Second that we're on bananas. Working plantains on bananas. versus bananas. Is it, is it bananas or, or do we get upgraded?